Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time where we sit down for auto catch up and talk about all of the big automotive news that has happened uh, this week here in Australia and across the world. And uh, to talk all of this through uh, with me, I've got Joel Strickland. Joel, welcome back. Thanks, Ash. Another big week of news, lots of cool stuff happening and uh, exciting um, announcements and reveals and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, a couple of big ones uh, we've got to discuss. Uh, we've got the HSV becoming GMSV. We kind of knew about it for a long time, um, but it's now official. They've got a Facebook page, so it is Facebook official, um, and as well as a few other things. Um, but it seems to be very – I feel like – a lot of our car news now is becoming a lot more um, uh, American-centrified with uh, some of the cars that we're getting. And, look, part of me is pretty excited. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to see given that we're so used to such a, a heavy uh, Asian or even European influence in our cars here um, more than often. Um, but, yeah, it seems to be slowly changing um, even during these weird times. Yeah, it is, and and so much more of sort of our market is being driven a little bit by that. But you know, in saying that, we're also hearing there was a rumor I read this week that they're saying that maybe even the next Mustang may not come here because it might be not might not be made in um, right hand drive. So you know, as, as excited as we are about GMSV, you know, the the future of what it holds for our market and and what things are happening are, is still a little bit up in the air. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting times and. Um, um, yeah, we've got some exciting stuff to, to talk about tonight. Yeah, that's right. And look, if um, if you're listening at home and uh, or in the car or wherever you're listening uh, to this episode or our previous episodes, you can always send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, if there's a vehicle you want us to, to review and talk about or even uh, some questions about a car that you're looking at or even... If there's some news that you've seen and you'd like to hear our opinions on it, uh, send us an email and, um, yeah, we'd love to, to talk about it. Um, but let me – I will make a smaller uh, confession, Joel. I uh, have been spending some of this time not driving um, but instead actually flying um, on the new Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, <laughs> it's uh, – Oh, man, it, it, it's amazing, the technology. Uh, I know that um, racing, you know, in, in car simulation games have gotten unbelievably good these days, um, particularly with VR and things like that. But it's been about 14 years since we've had a new flight simulator game from Microsoft. And, man, technology has come a long way. Uh, it's not just about, you know, in, in racing sims, we have laser-scanned tracks to try and get, you know, things as accurate as possible in terms of every bump, every every line, every crack that's on there um, to, to have that translated into a digital way. Um, but you kind of, you can't do that with the entire world <laughs> it's a bit harder to do and i think it would have been a bit expensive to do if they actually really set out and did that um but what they've done which i think is quite amazing is taken all of the the map data and the satellite data from bing maps and, and other map sources as well and created that into a one-to-one virtual scale of the globe and so that means um you can fly anywhere you can jump in a plane and pick a one of 37,000 airports and um 
yeah, fly and, and visit your home and and fly over and jump into a destination. And, and also the, the greatest thing is, is that um, there's real-time weather and real-time um, air traffic. So even though our, particularly over Australian skies at least, the, the air traffic is a little bit lighter on, um, but you can if there's a plane flying over the top of you, you, you theoretically can jump into to the flight scene game and jump up there and fly right alongside in the virtual world with that plane that is flying over your head in the weather that's happening out there as well. Um, so we've got a couple of hurricanes uh, brewing over in the, the Gulf of New Mexico and um, and a, a friend of mine and myself, we, we jumped into a couple of little turboprop planes and, and decided to check out that weather that's happening over there at the moment um, to see for ourselves, well, gee, what would that be like to, to fly into? Where do you take and, off from? Uh, so you can take off from any of the, like from, from tiny little airports. So every airport um, has, is, is registered somewhere. Like each one has its own individual code um, and it automatically generates based off the satellite information and, and the official records that are publicly available and it generates that airport. And so there's about 30, I think there's 37,000 or, or around about that number that are available for you to take off. So some of them are little dirt strips, some are, you know, little regional airports and that kind of thing, all the way through to your big international airports. Um, and there's three different versions of the game, um, kind of like your, your entry level, medium and top spec. And each one gives you a bigger selection of, of planes to, to choose from. Um, as well as uh, what they call handcrafted airports. So, for example, Sydney Airport is included in all versions of the game, and what they do is hand create every aspect of the airport. So it's not just automatically generated, but every building and everything is is accurately modelled to to what that airport is, and not just off a, an automatically generated um, layout. So, yeah, you can you can. Like almost like on on Google Earth, where you can spin the globe and zoom all the way into really great detail. It shows you where all the little airports that you can can depart from if you want to take off, or if you want to pick a random spot in the middle of the the globe and just say, "I want to start flying from here." It will um, drop you in uh, into the sky, flying, and you can set your flight plan and everything from there. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so it's particularly in these times where you really can't, um, particularly for international travel, but even domestic travel is, is not easy to do um, for a lot of us. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a great way to escape and visit uh, other parts of the world um, that you want to, to see or at least experience in some, in some form. And uh it is worth noting that you do need a fairly beefy PC and um, a fairly solid internet connection um, because even if you're running a, a top spec computer, um, you won't be seeing uh, perfect frame rates or anything like that. It is a, a very intensive um, game, but I'm playing on a fairly, you know, a graphics card that's about three or it's actually about five years old now. Um, and I'm on about medium settings uh, and I've tweaked that just to, because I want to get a little bit of, I want, uh, you know, some of the, the little models on the ground and everything being a little bit more accurate. 
And so I've sort of been able to find the middle ground on that. But um, but best of all for me, I'm a Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, so I get the access to that game subscription on my Xbox consoles and um, on the PC, and the games included on there. So that's um it's it's kind of not a bad way to to experience it, particularly if you are new to to flight simulators or, or things like that. So yeah, it's a uh, I can I can see. Um, I think it's going to be for a couple of friends of mine um, that live overseas. It's actually not a bad way for us to, to catch up. And we can also, you know, fly over places that we've, we've traveled to in the past, or even, you know, they can show me a little bit more of their home city um, or even, you know, what some people have already seen uh, do on, uh, on YouTube. They've gone and visited all the famous racing tracks um, <laughs> around the world. So one guy has landed on um, the big long straight, on the Nordschleifer, um, on the Nürburgring, and he's landed a little prop plane on there, and then have taken off again. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can. So even if you if you do kind of want to, if you want to do a, a tour of um, some some racing tracks, or uh, even you know follow the Formula One calendar, um, you can do that uh, from the skies as well. So it's it's a really cool game. Um, it's oh, it's not really a game; it's a simulation. Um, it's it is very. Um, adaptable to to what level of flying you're used to obviously um you can go all the way up to the full simulation where you've got to go through the entire startup procedure for that plane um and you can download the startup procedure pdfs offline you know on the internet print them out and sit next to you and actually go through that startup (laughs) procedure and it will work it is accurate um or you can kind of go, hey, look, yeah, I just want to hit a button, start the engine, and and start flying. You can do that. So, um, but it is something that you, you will you will lose uh, a ton of time just uh, just exploring and um, and seeing the world. Yeah, I've got um, I've got a new game to start playing with, but it's under embargo at the moment, so I can't even talk about oh, it. So, no. yeah, so I was lucky enough to get um, access to to it. I haven't actually had a chance to set it up as yet, but um, it's a new one that's coming uh, hopefully later in the year. So, uh, yeah, I've got um, I've got to set up. It's a different procedure to normal as to um, to how to access it, but um, right. it's on my list of uh, things to do. I actually seem to have filled my drive on my Xbox, so I need to go. Buy a um, I need to go through my hard drives and actually find some space to um to be able to <laughs> offload some of my games. Yeah. It's the beauty with the Xbox system is you can actually um, uh, shift stuff from you know the main drive onto an external drive. So yeah. uh, that's one of my things I've got to try and do this week. Um, considering we're still in the lockdown and all here in Victoria. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's my uh, my plan to do. But uh, did you actually get a chance to drive anything this week, Ash? Yeah, so I've actually uh, I've been driving the new uh, Nissan Duke, the, the second generation. And um, it's been it, – it's quite a, a substantial update over the previous generation, even though visually um, they're very similar. There are some minor – updates so now things like you have uh, led um, headlights and taillights um, across all the models um, the styling has been updated to sort of match that that global you know, sort of like that updated design language they have now um, but it's really interesting the the engine and transmission they've opted for for all of the the different variants so there's four different variants you have the st the st plus the stl and then the ti and um so all of those uh engines 
or all of those models, sorry, have the same engine and transmission. And that's a, a three-cylinder turbo um, with a seven-speed DCT, which outputs about 84 kilowatts of power. Um, so there's no different larger, smaller engines kind of thing. It's the same thing, and it's literally the um, the level of equipment that you get in the car that separates each each uh, each step along the way. Um, so the SD Plus that I've been driving is obviously that that second uh, second tier that you get into, and um, it has a couple of things where you go, oh, that's a little bit of a weird emission from the entire range it is very much one that um it is it feels like it's catered to a budget but then even the spread of prices in my mind anyway i go ah oh, just spend the extra couple of thousand dollars to get into the into the stl um to get those extra features so such as like your your 360 camera your radar cruise control um slightly larger alloy wheels i think just fill out the look a little bit better even though the standard 17 inches do look quite nice um and somehow remarkably um have remained extremely clean i don't know how um usually when i drive a car by the end of the week they have a, a good layer of um of uh brake dust on the front in particular but somehow yeah they've remained quite clean um but no, I think the the key thing is that with that three-cylinder turbo, they've added a lot of sound deadening into the car. They've made it quieter on the road, but there's just something that you're unable to, to block out, like that uneven um, idle and, you know, so like that... Uh, the RPM that you get out of the the engine from a three cylinder, it's just that little bit louder. It's a little bit more distinct compared to even like a small four cylinder, um, and so it is a, a bit louder than I would probably expect. I'm not complaining um, per se, but it is in the press release when you read it, they go, "Oh look, we've made it this much quieter," and I go, mm, I, "I don't really think so," uh, but I'm glad that you added it because otherwise it'd be really loud <laughs> without it. But it drives well. You do just need to give it a little bit more of acceleration to make it um, feel a little bit more lively. If you do kind of gingerly take off the the dual clutch and the engine together, just feel a little bit unsure. Um, but once you really get going with your acceleration, it feels solid. It feels really uh, feels a bit quicker than what it what it has under the hood. Um, but I am jumping into the STL in a couple of a couple of weeks, and um, I'll be curious just to see how those different um, different features really stack up. I do have some weird quirks in this car that I think are limited to just this car only. Um, this car was built in February um, of 2020, and uh, the official announcement I think wasn't made for this second generation wasn't made until I think May. So this was of quite an early vehicle, and so you have a few little quirky things like the air conditioner it's really icy cold at 18 degrees but once you bump it up to 18 and a half it's really quite warm <laughs> it feels like you could start cooking something in there what color um, is it so it's like a, a oh, i can't remember the name it's a dark little red color yeah it might um, be the might be the vehicle that i drove very briefly might yeah, be one of the okay. first pre um might even be no it wouldn't be pre-production because it'd be a press car so um, so I have had a yeah. pre-production car as a press fleet car before from from Holden. Actually, it okay. had the evaluation sticker in the in the in the door sill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was kind of cool. Um, 
but yeah, it was. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think there's a few quirks. It's like probably it's probably confused. It's probably been down here and then it's gone up there, and it's been confused by the weather. So yeah, but there's even things like the the door seal or the window seal um, on the driver's door doesn't fit fully. Um, okay. Yeah, and there's just a couple little things. Sometimes the safety system will just absolutely freak out, even though there's nothing around it. Um, and so I've look, and 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 I've knowingly gone when I've looked at it and said, look, I don't think that this is something that is going to that you're going to find in every single car. If it yeah. is, it's going to obviously that's a little concerning. Um, but there's kind of like these little things. I go, okay, reasonably, you'd expect that that's something you shouldn't find in a normal production car particularly not a very early production car um because there's even like the back seat it's a 60 40 folding um seat really spacious boot really deep boot quite nice um but the right hand side split it locks in um into the upright position but it's not fully locked in so it will rattle when you go over bumps oh really um, it oh it's like, like it needs a little bit more of a push to lock yeah it in. and i've yeah i've tried my absolute darndest to just make something, sure am i waiting something for something i had in. did the same thing yeah so we might have had that similar car i will obviously when i um jump into that stl uh, i will sort of look for those little things as well because for me if i bought a car like that and those three things kind of were in it. I wouldn't be too happy. I'd definitely be going back to the dealer and saying, Hey, you need to check this out. But I've, I've just kept that in the back of my mind going, look, this shouldn't be something that we, you know, should be normal in, in this. Um, but look, yeah, if, if it's present still in the next car, that's where I'll go. Hey, look, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a real quality problem. Um, because those things, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't find it anyway on a on a car, particularly with Nissan. They know what they're doing. They know what they're building. Um, they do make good quality cars in terms of like they get the quality side of things right. Um, so, <laughs> but look, overall, like it's a nice car to drive. It gets really close to the claimed fuel economy figure. So they claim that you'd be able to get five point eight liters per one hundred. Um, and I've I think at the moment it's sitting about six point two with a similar like a fairly typical combined like you know drive start stop kind of um, traffic to the highway then I can jump on the highway into the city so that's I find I'm quite lucky with the way that I typically drive each day um, is fairly typical of a, a combined type of um, trip and so yeah, that it's been a long time since I've had a car that gets really quite close to to that claim figure so it's good to see um, and it is a, a, fi- a much healthier figure though um, I will be driving the CHR in a little bit um, from Toyota, which I find is a very head-on type of uh, competitor to the Duke. Um, and I'll be interested to see. So that is hybrid. So Nissan don't have a hybrid. They don't have an all-wheel drive. All the models are two-wheel drive. Um, and so, yeah, I wonder, given that um, Nissan have been able to stiffen up the the body and have improved the suspension quite a significant amount. I think they're talking about the stiffness from the, from the first and struts to be about 11% better than the first generation. Um, I see there's huge potential for a more powerful sport orientated model to sneak in there. 
um, and you be, should be able to get a great handling car out of that. Just through those little advantages that they've done, and I'd even love to see someone do a, a GTR transplant into that, like they did in the first generation <laughs> as well, because yeah, that, that was be a, cool. that was a that was a monster. And yeah, add in the benefits of the the improved um, body and the chassis. It should be even better in the second generation. But it's got all the tech that you want. Even in the lower down models, you do have um, blind spot monitoring, uh, rear traffic alert, forward collision alert. Um, uh, was, uh, you don't have radar cruise control in the two lower models. You do only pick that up in the STL and the TI. Um, you do only have drum brakes in the ST and the ST+. Really? Plus. Wow. Yeah, that, that's probably like the one... Uh, well, there's probably two kind of random things that I go, I uh, don't really understand why they've been omitted, apart from particularly when how close the pricing is amongst the different variants. I don't know from a, a managerial accounting side where the advantage is having drum versus discs in those models. Um, it's got to be a cost thing. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it is a weird thing. Um, I haven't really noticed any problems with the brakes in terms of performance where um, that is a letdown factor, but I can explore that a little bit more just to, to play around with that and see how far I can push it, particularly when I am going to a model that will have the rear disc brakes. Um, so, yeah, so you do miss out on that. And uh, the weirdest, the thing that I don't, I didn't really expect to, to find as a, as a feature when moving up in a model is the rear antenna. So that you have a typical sort of long, uh, you know, remote car style um, antenna on the lower models. But then as you climb up high, it goes into the little shark fin, um, which again, I find is a little bit of a weird thing that that is a kind of like a relatively minor um, thing that they've bundled into, to, to, you know, to make it a feature. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's got a couple of little quirks, but I think overall for passenger um, in the, in the second row, you don't want to be over six foot. If you've got someone over six foot sitting in the front, you, it is better than, the first generation they have with the car being longer, wider and taller, you do get that extra space in the cabin. But I just barely squeezed in as someone who's six foot one behind the seat that's set up for myself. Um, but yeah, plenty of storage space around. Uh, I can fit my big Nalgene um, one liter bottle in the in the doors in the front which is a very rare thing for a lot of cars doesn't matter if it's an suv or uh four-wheel drive all the way down to you know the littlest of cars that's not a very common thing but i love it because i don't have to have the the water bottle rolling around on the front passenger seat (laughs) um which i normally have to do uh but yeah so it kind of ticks the majority of boxes on a lot of things um there's just a couple of little weird emissions or um kind of features that i didn't expect uh which i'd love to check out at some point so one of them is being in that top ti model it has a bose personal audio uh system setup yeah the ones in their headrest yeah so you have an eight speaker setup and and part of that is a, a bose um 
speaker system that's set up on the back of each of the driver and the passenger seats. Um, so I'd love to experience that because I think it's uh, it makes a lot of sense for speakers to be there. And Bose does have experience in that with their, I can't remember what they call it, but the basically like the shoulder rest speakers that they have that you can buy. Uh, from Bose directly if you want if you don't want headphones but you do want to have you know kind of like a personal music experience so they do know plenty about that um, but yeah I'd love to experience that I'd love to see that on more cars actually uh, particularly cars that do make a big deal about the audio experience convertibles in particular it makes sense that you put a speaker right behind uh, where you are in an open top car so yeah but it's it's out there. I'm driving the STL soon, um, and uh, but overall have have generally um, enjoyed the week with it. Cool. What what's next? Uh, so jumping into the, um, I'm assuming soon to be updated because there's been a few um, uh, sneaky updates around of testing. Um, but it's the i30N Fastback in the luxury pack. Oh, uh, so nice. That'll be fun. Spec. Yeah. So it's, I, I've driven the, the last i30N I drove Fastback was just in that uh, entry level, if you can call it entry level, but the base model i30N uh, trim. And so now jumping up into the luxury level, you do add things like the keyless entry. And um, it's really just, it doesn't change the performance. It just changed, I guess, the level of of um, comfort features that you gain in the car itself. Is that the one that Mick just had? Yes. Yes. Um, so it's that orange looking one. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll be in that for a couple of weeks. Um, so that should be a, a good, fun little car to be driving. But I, but there is the, the dual clutch version coming soon, and that will bring a couple of minor styling updates as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, Yeah, I'm I think, intrigued to see what the dual clutch one's like. I'm very keen to drive yeah. that. I've heard very good things out of the Veloster N, um, which we don't get here, but... Um, in in Korea and uh, I think Japan as well, they do get the the Veloster N, and um, so far the feedback has been excellent um, out of that dual clutch. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It is about a year late now um, in terms of coming into the i30N, um, and I think it is one of those transmissions that will open up. Um, the 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 door to the i30n uh, to a much wider market that have been wanting one but haven't been able to because it's in that manual only yeah. so far and even though it's manual only um, from the last lot of figures that I saw um, in another article it it is one of the most popular performance um, hot hatches available. and that's that's with it being uh, a manual only um, which I think is fantastic. So I think it. I think it's number two at the moment in hot hatches, um, in Australia, for sales, um, which I think yeah it says a lot for a manual only car. Yeah, it's reassuring too. <laughs> but imagine <laughs> how many it could be selling with a with a dual clutch as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, but should we uh, smash through this? This first bit of news is a, a pretty, pretty significant one. Um, like we uh, hinted at before, we kind of known it's been happening, even though uh, General Motors themselves played it down and, and didn't really want to say anything um, during the tumultuous time, which the the Holden brand uh, shutdown 
is it, is it could you call it a shutdown anymore it's kind uh, of the execution ex- exit strategy exit. effectively <laughs> that's putting it nicely um so it is now official that um hsv will be becoming the gmsv and uh bringing at the moment to start off with just two models so the the silverado 1500 and um they've also confirmed that they will be the the company that will be looking after the right hand the factory built up right hand drive corvette models uh for australia but um there's been a few a few sightings of the we've spoken about it before a little bit but there seems to be more um hints of a of another brand joining that that gmsv portfolio joel yeah cadillac has been one that's been talking i mean cadillac have been talking about coming for probably over 10 years now on and off and yeah. if it hadn't been for the gfc back in you know sort of 2007 2008 it probably would have happened um i actually knew someone that was working for that division of holden at the time and and he was looking after some of that cadillac stuff and there are a couple of cars made their way here um and then like you said before ash there's there was talk again that there was something going to happen maybe sort of mid 2015 ish um and we've seen lots of them on the roads, but, you know, Holden have always been a development thing for GM. But there's a few more things that we've seen. We cited a car a few weeks ago that was had left-hand drive stickers on it, which is what we usually see, but was actually apparently a right-hand drive. Um, and then someone has posted on social during the week claiming they saw a truck full of Cadillacs somewhere in Melbourne. Um, and then you did a bit of a bit of an investigation before and typed in cadillac.com.au and it actually came up with GMSV's website as a redirection. So Yeah, so that was that was a bit of a, a weird thing. I th- you know, part of it is um, GM protecting the, the brands have probably held on to those different um, uh, URLs for a little while now. But yeah, it is interesting that they are pointing it to uh, that particular website. Don't know if there's really anything more to it right now, but I think the evidence is starting to to build up on it. Yeah, it makes for interesting um, makes for interesting reading, uh, yeah. and the fact that you know they are talking about it, and that there is more talk that you know the the Cadillac, uh, sorry, the Corvette. It's good that they have confirmed that, and and it is coming. Um, that is exciting, and there are a few people that are unsure that it may happen or it may not happen. Um, so I'm in a Corvette group, and there's been lots of chatter on and off there with people and what they've been doing um, and, you know, worried about deposits and whatever else. But I think yeah. now that we, the GMSV have been confirmed as replacing effectively HSV and more, they're the two of them morphing into, into, to the new entity. I think it'll be good. I think that'll generally build some confidence in, in that. And uh, it's exciting. So we knew, know that there was one Corvette that made it here that was sorted on social a while back, whether it was here temporarily which i probably would be my guess as an evaluation mm. um so yeah when we finally start seeing them land and start being converted it's an exciting time for for ryan walkinshaw and his guys um so they're know. the ones um if you haven't been uh if you're not aware they are the brand that have been building hsv vehicles um as well as you know, a lot of other american conversions as well for other um competing brands as well but yeah so they are the ones who are doing the i guess the the heavy lifting 
um, could you say, Joel, for, for GMSV? Yeah, very much so. Um, and, you know, they were very much behind bringing in the Corvette and, and sorry, the Camaro and, and what they've done mm. for that market and in terms of when it was being sold through HSV. So they did a lot in that respect. And it was pretty exciting to see what they were achieving um, with that. And it's a shame that the Camaro has effectively finished now because um, it would be great to actually see them doing more with that and, you know, everyone who are supercars fans are hoping that that might progress into what could be the next model that we see, um, you know, for them becoming what supercars could become with the Gen 3. There's talk at the moment with Gen 3, they're trying to change the profile of that car so that it's actually going to not look out of whack like the Mustangs currently do so that they could whatever they choose to run to replace the Commodore. It could be either a Corvette or a Camaro or even a Cadillac um, that they could make it then look like the correct profile with this new generation. So we could see the, the Mustang change with that next generation because hopefully Ford will stick with that. But, you know, Walkinshaw have said that they're talking with another brand possibly to, to, to bring out to see what they do um, in the future. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, it's good to see that, you know, they're building on that um, brand and, and it is going to have presence, you know, here in, here in Oz and um, we're excited to see what else they, they bring. Yeah. No, it's uh, – I think it – it's it's a positive time for for General Motors fans, um, even though I think uh, they've soured the the brand a little bit with uh, how the the whole Holden exit has gone. Um, yeah. Whether you know, regardless of your opinion, it certainly impacted the brand um, to some degree. But obviously, this is very positive. It'll be great to see Corvette models. Um, on the roads and to have them built in factory right-hand drive. Um, how long that remains, I guess we'll see um, because there aren't really that many uh, right-hand drive markets for it. And essentially they've, you know, they've put the money into it. Now they might as well try and recoup some of that cost uh, to a certain degree, but yeah, it's a, it's a good move. Um, anyway, and I think so far they're planning on using the existing dealer network. Um, do, do we know how wide that, that network no, is, obviously, happened. with a bit of changes? It hasn't really been discussed. See, a lot of the dealerships have sort of moved on from Holden and have already removed their branding and have moved in other brands into the space that was once occupied by Holden. So I think there could be a lot that will no longer that were, you know, the dealers for the brand. Um, you know, most of them will probably stay with their service network, but there's a lot that I think that'll probably move away. So they haven't actually said. Um, I think that's obviously part of that conversation. The the mm. the, the conversation with the whole Nexit is still happening with a lot of the brand, with a lot of the dealers as well. So uh, I think it'll be something that we'll kind of watch going forward to see what comes of it and then what the presence is um, of the brands around the country. So, Because could they go a direct... Do you, do you see that they could go a, a direct model as well? Um, what, Walkinshaw? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think they're really in the idea of being... Um, dealer network i think they'd probably like to have the presence look they may well do it you, you don't know but i would have thought they'd prefer to have a a dealer 
network so that they can then look after the servicing as well as the sales mm. and the support. Um, I know that facility that Walkinshaw's in is, is quite big, but I don't think they'd want to be then having to deal with, you know, service and support and stuff like that. It all depends on how the conversation goes with the dealers until that deal with Holden is finished. I think that'll be before they can really start talking about um, moving forward. I mean, those that have been selling the, the trucks will probably continue to sell them and that will probably be the key markets that continue mm-hmm. for them to, to sell Corvettes and stuff like that. But, you know, if it's if it's anything, not every Holden dealer was an HSV dealer. So it may be the same thing. Not every dealer will be a dealer that sells the Corvette and the trucks. So who knows? We'll have to just watch this space. Yeah, well, it's, uh, yep, exciting times. And, uh, yeah, uh I just want to see them out on the road. I think I say that with everything that's uh, American at the moment. Sorry if you're if you're sick of hearing it, but uh, it's true. I think uh, the styling has uh, really hit a note at the moment for a lot of the American design, and it looks good, and I uh, can't get enough of it. But look, uh, Joel, the, so it seems like we're getting a new Subaru WRX uh, sometime in, in 2021 um, based on yeah. some production info. It's uh, interesting to see. Um, I just didn't open my screen up. I hit the button and it didn't open. So bear with me while I retry and open. Oh, that didn't even work. That's interesting. That uh, link has now broken in between <laughs> when I've had it set up. Um, so, yeah, there is a new. Um, where are we? I've... Yeah, so they're talking talking about um, the Lavorg is being updated. So um, the new look uh, has been released um, and it's really nice. I really like it. It's very much along the lines of the current Impreza styling into a certain degree. Um, it's got um, uh, a few changes. It's a sort of a sharper front end and rear end. It's very much that continuing on with that styling and of stuff that they, they have done. Um, it's going to have uh, possibly, there is a rumour and we can only hope that it may have a WX power plant that they may go down that route and truly make it the, the, the successor to the WX Ragon that, you know, us WX fans have had and wanted to have for years so um so yeah that's that's kind of exciting um there's no talk on when it'll be here i think the last conversation i had with talking to people uh from subaru was that it probably and everything that's happened with COVID, everything's probably been pushed back but uh, i would probably say that it might be still a little bit of a while off before it before it lands here um, but the engine-wise, it's interesting. They're going to have a 1.8-litre flat four, um, which is good because they're sticking with that flat in, flat four engine, which is a hallmark of Subarus. Um, but there's also going to have possibly a 1.8 um, and a 1.5-litre turbo as well, which makes for interesting things. So um, the 1.8 turbo is going to replace the 2.5-litre non-turbo. Um, I'm kind of a fan of having a bigger engine and a turbo than sort of going to a smaller with out the turbo, but and having not driven it, it's hard to say, but yeah, 1.8 turbo could be interesting. Um, 
yeah, it says that the 1.8 develops about 130 kilowatts. The other thing I'm really excited about is obviously that new rear end imagery looks really cool. Really liking that. It's a little bit Liberty styling upgraded, um, and it's a lot more aggressive mm-hmm. at the rear end. Mm-hmm. But the interior is exciting. They're looking at having that full LCD dash. Um, but then also reminding me very much of a Colios interior is that vertical large iPad yeah. size screen as well. Um, so Which yeah, I that... think works really well. Um, yeah, very much so. I think it, it just is a bit more logical. We, we're used to, um, particularly with more and more features of the air conditioning, the radio and navigation, all being put into these screens now it makes sense that we kind of follow the same uh type of display that the traditional dashboards kind of use you know they they layered things on top of each other um i know that tesla have done that in the model s they're going with a, a landscape but a really large screen um in some of their more recent models but in general it kind of it, it works i think uh every time we've driven a, a renault um, with that vertical screen, it just works really, really well. It, it makes sense that way. Um, and it looks to have changed the bottom of that area as well and all the heating yeah. controls and everything look to sit into that screen. It, it may not be in the actual main screen area, but it looks to be part of that whole area. So it really yeah. cleans up that whole center screen area. The There's actual dials um, on either side of the screen as well, which are quite nice. The hazard button's an interesting location, very easy to find where it's sitting um, mm. up in that top right-hand corner. But yeah, really liking the, the interior look of that. So um, yeah, it's quite exciting to see that, uh, you know, they're calling it the 2021. So I would probably say that we'll definitely probably see it next year. Um, Subaru have said... Uh, and it's launching later later this year. Um, but our engines and timing will be different, Subaru Australia has said in relation to this article that we were referencing. So, um, you know, they're obviously looking at it. They're obviously having discussions. As I said, COVID have changed a, a lot of things with model releases and stuff like that now that have been later on. Obviously, a lot of stuff was planned earlier in the year and they've been able to delay some of that. Um, but, yeah, we'd love to see it become a... Um, you know, a, a, a change to having a, a WX wagon again. This picture is a Lavorg STI Sport. The the STI previously was a great model uh, in that range to drive. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what it is. You know, whenever I think we've said it before, Subaru take as long as you need to bring it to Oz. But if you're going to bring anything that looks anything like this, <laughs> sign sign me up. I'm keen, particularly <laughs> if if it goes down the route of having, you know, something closer to having to uh, a WRX. I like the previous Gen 1. I actually probably would probably go a middle spec as opposed to the the STI. The STI was just that little bit too low to the ground with a couple of the the added extras on it. So I'd probably go... So, so, uh, so you're saying that the, the the STI spec is not rally spec, is that... Well, no. It's, it's <laughs> STI was not always based on the rally. It was, you know, it was a performance track car to a certain degree. But yeah, I True. think the just the a couple of little things on it just wasn't uh, ideal for the, being that little bit lower to the to the ground. Um, my driveway here at home is not the nicest, so I'd prefer something a little bit higher. Um, but yeah, look at that; it's cool, it's exciting, um, looks great. Um, the engine 
options sound exciting, sound interesting as well. So yeah, I'm intrigued to see what um, what comes of it, and you know, I would probably say we'll hopefully see it. Maybe if not, um, you know, early next year, maybe end of next year into early the year after. So, um, but yeah, it's exciting times with performance vehicles that are. Um, a little bit non-sedan or uh, hatch relating relating to our next piece, Ash. Oh yeah, look if uh, if you need to move a, a bale of hay and your family really quickly, um, this is the truck for you. <laughs> the uh, 2021 Ram 1500 TRX, uh, Fiat Chrysler are calling it the quickest, fastest, and most powerful mass-produced truck in the world. 702 horsepower 6.2 liter supercharged hemi registered trademark v8 engine yeah another another hemi and another and another um fco vehicle i love it i just this company is just awesome at the with the stuff that they're creating <laughs> oh, look, it, it looks great it um you know zero to 60 miles per hour in uh, was it 4.5 seconds, quarter mile, and 12.9? Imagine rocking up with this thing, yeah. big red truck, and basically putting most sports cars, you know, Shame. giving them a run for their money. You know? yeah. And as a result of the spin off, this, I mean, this was announced around the time that the Bronco was coming. They were saying that it, that it was coming and that, you know, it was. You know, it was on the radar, and it's now interesting that you now read as a result of this happening, and we all knew that thinking that it was going to be a Hemi engine in 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 this in yeah. this TRX. We're now reading rumours that they're talking about now going to put the GT350 um, supercharged engine in the next Raptor. So Ford are already, you know, if they, if this is happening, and they they would probably already be ahead of the game thinking about it. But this is exciting stuff for yeah. for truck people and stuff like that. Ash, did you get a chance to listen to any of the um, the B roll video that they they released? Because oh, the uh, yes. the engine noise did in I? that thing is wow. is pretty cool. Yeah, it just sounds uh, demonic. It, it is. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It, it, people, people will probably look at this and go, "Truck shouldn't be this exciting." Um, there's no, there's no right, there's no need for a fast truck. But um, to that, I say, I don't care. Well, the thing is, the, the original Raptor in the US was really popular when it came out. And, well, and this is the thing. Like, we're going in a big sprint towards, you know, um, it's not just about having the fastest two-door or four-door car now. Um, you know, we've, we've completely... We've, we've got this fork in the automotive industry where everything is about eco, um, you know, saving... Uh, fuel economy and everything like that, you know, emissions, and then you've got the other fork of the um, of the automotive industry going down. Well, how fast can we make the biggest vehicle in our range go? Um, and this is exactly what they've done, and this is what all of the other manufacturers um, we're seeing it even in our Utes here. Um, everyone, including uh, who was it last week, uh, um, Azuzu, are coming out with a you know a sports orientated truck. So they're really listening, or you know they're really kind of even going after some of that market 
that the SUVs, you know, those sport utility vehicles, um, you know, and these utes are actually, you know, these trucks are, 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 are taking the challenge to them. Um, we saw it, you know, in, in BMW and, and Mercedes, they've got the AMGs and they've got the M models up there, you know, they're seven seat um, SUVs. And so it's, uh, I love to see this engineering go to this point and saying, well, what can we do? What can we make something that is not only extremely powerful, but reliable as well and still able to be somewhat of a, of a workhorse uh, in the, in the day to day. Yeah. I, th- I think it's great. I, I love seeing this type of stuff. It's, it's not just about whacking a big engine either in there, no. um, you know, so what they're doing. So the TRX is eight inches wider compared to the to the typical 1500 um it's got uh bigger composite flares for that you know for a six inch increase of track width um you know they've they've shifted the axle 20 millimeters forward so they can fit 35 inch goodyear territory all-terrain tires um yeah so it there's a, there's a lot more going on with these performance models, particularly, you know, like this TRX where it isn't just let's just whack a big engine in there and make it, you know, let it smoke the tires, et cetera, et cetera. There's actually a lot of engineering effort going into this to make it wider, to make it not only just go quickly, but to handle and perform um, at, a, at a, you know, an acceptable level um, for a, a truck this size. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, is that it's going to come here. You know, the, 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 all mm. the talk this week has been that it will be coming to Oz. I mean, Ram in conjunction with Ram Australia and obviously Walkinshaw that does a lot of the conversion for them. Um, yeah, this is really exciting. And I think that this market, the market for this year will be really popular. I think that, you know, Utes are one of the biggest sellers here. Ram's done really well in Oz. Um, for those um, that, you know, are in the tradies and that that run a successful business that want, um, I mean, this would make a great um, promotional vehicle for any um, in that construction or building yeah. or anything in that tradie kind of area. I mean, to have something like this as your, you know, your vehicle or, you know, the, either the owner of the company's driving and turning, driving and turning up at work sites and whatever else is, mm. is pretty cool, but so practical and so much fun, you know, four-wheel driving is really popular in Oz. This thing would be very much at home um, on Fraser and stuff up your way, Ash. Um, yeah. yeah, I think absolutely. it's, I think it's really, really cool. It sounds absolutely amazing with the, um, the supercharger on it. Uh, it looks yeah. really, really tough. Um, they've got a listing of a whole list of Mopar parts parts that can be added to it as well yeah, over 100 um, i think from from launch <laughs> and even so even in the performance spec so this isn't you know this model isn't designed for towing extreme amounts or carrying super ridiculous loads you know there's there's ram 3 3500s and that kind of thing you can kind of get steps up but even in this config in this model you can still tow about 36 3700 kilos um behind you so it's still you know even like this you can still tow your boat and still tow a fairly decently sized um bit of you know load behind you as well yeah and it's yeah it's cool and the fact that you know 
Ram, well, FCA love doing this with their vehicles and it's cool to see it happening into the Ram and putting that Hemi into it, into a ute. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's uh, it's interesting and uh, we look forward to seeing them um, hitting the road down under here in Oz. Mm. The only question is <laughs> price. price. Yeah. Uh, that, and that remains to be seen. But it yeah. would have to be sub 200 uh 150 to 200 depending on specs i'm guessing to make sense anyway any any yeah. more than that i think uh yeah you'd be telling yeah, it, need, it, need, it needs to be appealing but you know for yeah for, for those just a 1500 you know excluding all the other it isn't a 3500 or a 2500 it is still a, a 1500 spec um as well so yeah it should i i'd, I'd hope anyway 150 should be kind of i think a, a sweet point yeah. for that but you know we'll be probably completely wrong and uh hopefully they they beat expectations let's let's just say that <laughs> yeah exactly um, um but we go from one you to another ash yeah, so we uh, we we've known this is coming. the The new Mazda B two fifty is going on sale in October, uh, so not too much of a uh, a wait. Obviously, the the key things are slightly updated um, exterior, so it does fit their car lineup a lot more. Um, it does look. You know, from the front, if you looked at it directly on, you'd probably be forgiven for thinking it is a CX-9 um, with that front nose. I'm not saying it looks bad. It's just, yeah, it's probably a little bit different to, to what most people are used to seeing in a um, in a BT-50. But it still has all of, I guess, the, the core features that you're expecting from a, a dual cab ute these days. So 3,500 kilos of towing capacity, 1,000 kilo payload, um, the the turbocharged three liter diesel, which is a four cylinder, has 140 kilos of power, 450 new meters of torque. Um, and yeah, so that's, it kind of fits um, everything that we expect uh, with that. Um, in terms of uh, interior, you do have a larger infotainment uh, infotainment screen that has Android Auto and wireless car Apple, Apple CarPlay, uh, which is a nice um, nice addition, particularly if you are in and out of your car all the time, going in between places. Having it wirelessly connect just means it's one less thing you have to worry about um, taking out of your pocket or you know carrying a cable for. It's there and it connects. Um, but yeah, look, I think it looks pretty well uh looks pretty good overall no it, you know it's not i don't think anyway personally it's it's going out there to make a, a terrible amount of attention drawn to itself it is very much a, a a utility and probably see quite a few on job sites i think so and the fact that they've now given that new company look to it as well i think yeah. it really needed that to bring it up with the rest of the the corporate look that that master have now and i think it really it looks great i think it'll be pretty popular those that want something a little bit different um it you looks know, those, a little bit uh mercedes x class like um, a little bit but it's nice i think it's nicer in the lines yeah. that it has um but those that are the previous bt50 owners this is the perfect opportunity to jump in to upgrade it um you know the the instant tax write-off is still available for businesses up until the end of end of this year. So I think it's you know great time that those that want to upgrade to to make the benefit of it and mm-hmm. and see what it does with you know helping helping with 
car sales. I know that particularly here, dealerships are closed in Victoria until at least the middle of next month. Um, so there'll be a few guys, I reckon, that are probably champing at the bit to to sell a few of these through. Um, yeah. But yeah, safety wise, I think it's probably the the big um, leap forward. Again, you know, I think it start off with the Isuzu. Um, with their features, but this also brings for the first time to the BT50 at least adaptive cruise control, autonomous emergency braking lane departure warning, blind spot monitor, um, and rear cross traffic alert. So they're standard across um, all of the models, which I think is great. Um, and it's again great to see those features coming standard to cars that spend yeah. a lot of time on the road. Um, Safety is becoming more and more popular in these things, and the more of it, you know, is more crucial than than ever in that respect. So, you know, it's, well, they've also had to face a number of different challenges compared to a, a typical car and S or SUV with how, um, and and they don't they don't talk about it here um, specifically, but I assume that a lot of these systems are built with different accessories in mind such as you know um uh bull bars and, and the such so i hope um as we learn a little bit more about that that those features you know th that's another set of hurdles i had to sort of go through and um, that's why you know perhaps in these ones it's taken a little bit longer for that that technology to get cheaper they're not they learn a little bit better because also it is fairly competitive in this uh in this dual cab ute market but it's great to see great to finally have uh, these features as standard yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think it'll it'll probably sell well. Next time I've got to drop my car off to get service, which I think it's uh, well hasn't done a lot of cases much of late. <laughs> yeah, no. But I was only commenting saying the other day that my fuel tank uh, is. It, I don't know when the last time I filled up and it's still got a quarter of a tank left in it. Yeah. So, uh, But I did notice it's due for service probably in September, but I think it'll be time rather than Ks. But if I uh, get a chance, I might drop in and have a quick look at one at the dealership if they've mm -hmm. got them when, uh, when we hopefully reopen at the middle of uh, next month. But we go from one updated uh, car to another, Ash. Yeah, look, if... Uh... If you've been a fan or an owner of a Civic Type R and it's not fast enough for you, well, <laughs> you can now rest easy. Um, Honda have updated the suspension, brakes, and engine cooling performance, um, plus a couple of little, uh, you know, minor design tweaks um, to to basically, you know, introduce a and this updated model um you do have active sound control so you do get a little bit you can play around with that note um that you get out of uh the engine and also you do and i think there's probably a few data nerds um like myself who are really keen on this this part is that they're they're showcasing along with this updated car the log r data logging software so it means that um and i'm sure this will expand into other models over time this is at the moment just exclusive to the type r um but basically it, it, you can use this and connect it to your phone and allow it to analyze your driving performance and and basically help you develop your skills as a driver by taking the inputs that you're putting into the car and showing you places where you can actually you know, improve or adjust your driving style to get more performance out of it, which I think is is great. And it's cool that all of this data exists in the car. It already, it, it already is capturing this, and they're just putting a little bit of smarts behind it to, to help you get better as a driver, which, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's always a good thing. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, it's good to see it. So it goes on sale on the 1st of October. Um, the pictures are for the release of that stunning blue, which I don't mm. think I've ever seen one um, in that color. Uh, I haven't. Yeah. I, I see it in white or black. In yeah, Piper. <laughs> that seems to be the 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 best ones. One of my best mates has the black, and one of his mates has the black. And um, yeah. but yeah, it'd be. I mean, it's a shame they don't do. You know, the I've seen a couple. I know Honda's got. The, they've had the the red, which they used for the the Jensen button. Um, uh, which is the rally red? Um, it actually says that's why that's why I knew the blue was special because it's it's new. It's a new color uh, called racing blue, um, and that's why we haven't seen it before. And then there's also rally red, crystal black, and the iconic championship white. So um, yeah, I think that blue is nice. It's a it's a really mm. nice color. Um, hopefully, we might see a few of those on the on the road around here. So. Um, Wonder if uh, I might have to ask our friends at Honda if they're going to have a. Um, hopefully, they might have it as a, a blue one on their press fleet, maybe at some stage. Mm. So it should, it should photograph well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, we'll the just use are... that as the, as the excuse to get one. Is that is yeah. that right with the scale? I think we so. Well, it'd be nice to put it alongside my mate's black one, which is uh, heavily modified. But um, uh, yeah, it uh, it looks good in the, in that in that color. Mm. So and, and just uh, touching on that log R a little bit again. So. Um, there is a couple of different interesting specific modes. Uh, so one is performance monitor. So that will also connect to the center screen. Um, and so you can actually see all of the functions and everything in real time. So gear position, coolant oil temps, uh, oil and pr- oil pressure and atmospheric pressure, um, as well as a whole heap of other things. Um, if you're really into it, you can bring up a G meter as well. So it's kind of like some of the other performance modes that we see um, or performance displays that we see in a couple other brands. Um, but also it does go a little bit of a step further to show you like a, a 3d view that gives you a bird's eye visual as in, this is their words, bird's eye mm-hmm. visual of the car's cornering, braking, and acceleration. <laughs> That's a bit cool. Yeah. I, I don't know how much time you'd be spending if you, if you're doing a track day, how no, much time it's kind of stuff that you screen, want to, but... you want to be able to <laughs> save and come back yeah. and view at a later yeah. date, I think. Yeah. So there is also a log mode. So that is designed um, for you to help, track your your lap time so it uses the gps and the map and it all, so it monitors and maps the vehicle's location um as well as you know those internal sensors that are gathering the data so you can also then look at that acceleration braking cornering g's and other things together um and so they then use the smarts, and this is the smarts we're talking about, um, encourages smooth, controlled driving through the use of color-coded trace. Um, so it also it looks at, well, what was your fastest lap? Here, here are the things that you did well. Here are other sectors that were faster, et cetera, et cetera, um, as well as it looks at the clutch, gear shifting, steering, and, um, and other aspects as well to help balance it. So I think that's particularly cool. Um, and then also, and you can save those lap times for another time. So if you go back to another track day later, you can then compare those and see how you've improved. Or, you know, maybe if you've been locked down for a, for a month and a half, you know, you can say how much time have you lost um, between those. But then also you can use um, another function called auto score. Um, and then basically this just tracks over time um, your general driving. So not just time at the track, um, but also it just looks at your overall driving behavior to see how how well you can improve just in general 
and I kind of look at it as the wear and tear in your car, um, your overall acceleration, deceleration, turning, straight line driving, and all that kind of thing. So and it generates a score around that. Um, they don't talk about it a little bit here, but the one side of me goes, it's cool that they're showing you all of this data um, and they're giving it in an easy to present sort of way to, to look at it and download it. I just... Part of me feels a little bit nervous, even though you shouldn't be doing anything wrong on the roads, but <laughs> I'd, I'd hate to see any of this data be used against um, someone who um, even even think of it in a, in a warranty situation. If you are making, you know, you're having an issue with a, part, a certain particular part of the car and um, and then they turn around and go, well, actually, <laughs> looking at your driving data, you, you floor it every single time that you leave a, a traffic light or every time you go onto the highway. So based on that, we don't feel comfortable in um, honoring that. And, and and there's nothing to hint to say that they do that. I don't want to give that impression, but just in the back of my mind, I just go, oh, I know that they kind of capture this data anyway. And this is all car makers. Tesla are also very much known um, for not only just being able to plug in and see it, but look at it live. Um, there's a really great example um, from of uh, – What's his name? I've forgotten. Oh, no. Um, The name has escaped me. But from um, This Week in Tech podcast, and um, he had an issue where he put the car into into reverse and the car went forwards and he said oh that's that's really weird okay um and so caught up tesla and he said okay did you did you just do that five minutes ago i ate oh no yep it definitely reported that you put it into into drive and you didn't put into reverse um and oh yeah you um left the boot open as well (laughs) at the same time and it's like oh it's it's nice that data's there but it's also it's it's kind of a bit scary as well that all that information is there. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope that they've got um, at some point when you go through the sign-up process, they do disclose all the different ways that they use it. Um, same with any other car manufacturer. Um, it's something that I haven't dived too far into previously, but as more and more of the cars that we have coming through to, to test drive um, and review – they do have those connected apps available. So what I might do, I might even try and take a note of what things you agree to um, and compile that to give a better better idea of when you agree to those sorts of things. Um, what can they use it for? and Or what do they say they won't use it for? Because I think it's a, a really important thing to know when you start to use these connected apps. Yeah, it's interesting uh, in terms of what uh, it can do and what it record, what data it records, and, yeah, uh, and things like that. So yeah, because it doesn't mean you know, and, and not having that data captured doesn't mean well, you should be able to just go out yeah anywhere and, and flaunt you know the road rules and all that kind of thing. But you just hate to to have something where um, it, it it's not representative of the situation or what actually happened or, you know, penalize you in a way, you know, where they can sort of discriminate against you for a warranty item when, you know, in most cases that should be fair and reasonable or at any other time, um, you know, it allows them to pick and choose 
you know, what sort of warranty claim they want to honour or not. So it's just a thing that you hope that nobody's acting uh, in a bad way. There's nothing to, to say that they are, but it has that potential there. So what sort of steps are they putting in there to communicate what they do and don't do? Yeah, exactly. But look, up next is something that we've been um, eagerly watching um, over the last few weeks and months um, is the, the and it's finally been revealed, and that's the all new Kia Carnival. Um, Joel, it it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's great. The new shape and the new design, and we've said it before in previous when we talked about you know original when these photos well when this new look was coming that it has a very much an American feel to it, um, this new design, which is not a bad thing. And, you know, American styling for a lot of the, the cars that are coming out of mm-hmm. those design studios now look really, really good. Uh, and this is no exception. So um, the Carnival, you know, was due for an update with the rest of the, the care models now having a, a, a real design changes Sorrento earlier and stuff. It it was overdue and they've done a great job um, with it. It's got a really nice. It's got a it's got a very SUV feel about it. So it's it probably doesn't look as much like a, a people mover. It looks a little bit more SUV, which I think is a yeah. good thing. Um, that new design at the front with the new grill and and the swoop of the the line underneath the grill and stuff like that, and then into the rear. It reminds me very. It's very Lincoln feeling. Uh, it feels very sort of Lincoln Navigator ish style but even kind of a little bit nicer. Again, that sort of swoop um, around the Kia badge in the rear, um, you know, the lights down in the bottom of the bumper and and the changes with the rails around the roof and, and that little silver piece around the C-pillar, I think, is quite nice as well. It, it, it kind of stands out, but then also it kind of is kind of drops in nicely. I mean, we're looking at some um, images which I think are pretty much based possibly on the American version because it's got reversed seats, which I don't know whether or not we'll get here um, with the seats facing either way. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's good. The The new interior is nice with that um, that control yeah, I was dial. Say, I was a huge, I'm a huge fan of that interior. It looks yeah. Looks great. It um and two LCD screens in it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's it's quite nice. The I'm not sure about the cream interior. I think I'd prefer something a little bit darker. But it's got a it's got a very good similar feel. It's very Kia family feel about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, compare, it even comparing feels to- a little bit from um I would I would say Mercedes. Um, okay. if, if you look at the A-Class, you know how they've got those dual screens set up? Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, and, and on the, those screens and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's very just, similar. Just the way that that layout is and even that, that center console a little bit. I'm not not fully, but it gets very close. And I think they've stolen a little bit of inspiration, and I'm not mm. complaining at all because it looks great mm. and it does look premium. Um, but I think uh, they the whole Hyundai Kia Genesis, that whole exercise which they're doing and, and, and some of the sharing which they have going on. But both of these brands are doing an amazing job at really pushing the envelope of what a affordable um, car or in this case, a people mover really can be um, and the quality of it could be. Because the photos look great and, you know, from what we've all experienced um, on the podcast from Kia and, you know, and I'll throw Hyundai in there with their vehicles, um, I can see this being a, 
a really good quality interior if they you know if they keep on the trajectory of which we've seen in the past yeah and the other thing is it's built on a new platform so i'm intrigued to see what it's like having driven the previous one which was a few years ago now um i thought it was quite nice but yeah it's got um uh new platform steering and suspension um eight speed auto um yeah. the the new smart stream engines um in it as well so i'm intrigued to see what it's like um yeah. to drive so they still do as well the v6 um petrol engine so that hasn't so they're not going down to a smaller turbo or anything which is great because yeah. that's a great engine yeah. <laughs> if you worry they got rid of that because that was one of the real highlights of that car was just driving mm. that driving that uh engine so yeah. um and now offering so that that smart stream so a diesel engine as well so it is a slightly smaller 2.2 liter so it's not the big 3.5 liter but it is down to 2.2 liter um, still 148 kilowatts um yeah. and you know, 440 new meters of torque so yeah. that's quite reasonable and then um, compared to the 3.5 it's 200 kilowatts and 332 yeah. newton meters so you know the, if for that pulling power you kind of you know if you're going to be using a, a lot carrying a lot of people or a lot of weight then obviously going for the the diesel is probably the smarter way to go um but yeah then you we don't know if we'll get both of those engine options here. We're still waiting for to, to know what the specific range will be for for Oz. This is just the the global press release that came out, but yeah, it is there. They just have um yeah the, the it is due here before in quarter four though. Yeah, so it's, it's not far before. away. No, it's due here before the end of the year. So, um, uh, look, you know, we're all big fans of Kia and we're keen to see what it's like. Um, Mick's probably going to be the best tester of this because he's got more family than you and yeah. I have. Um, and, you know, with the kids and everything, well, I think. Even even in Brisbane, we've had a couple of uh, restrictions placed on us uh, just because we've got a few uh, things going on in southeast Queensland and, um, yeah, I think uh, he, with family, at least it's easier to fit up to yeah. eight people in there. Exactly. I could find eight friends, but it's, you know, it'd be pushing the envelope of what's allowed. So, yeah. Yeah. But, look, but the, I... the list of safety features is huge. Um, and so I'll list through it quickly just to give you a sense of how um, how long it is. It's kind of typical of what you'll see, but I'll list it anyway. So you've got forward collision advanced, uh, forward collision avoidance assistant um, with car pedestrian and cyclist detention detection uh lane keep assist blind spot collision and avoidance assist intelligent speed limit assist driver attention warning blind spot view monitor high beam assistance smart cruise control um or navigation based smart cruise control which i think is quite interesting uh lane following assist highway driving assist and surround view monitor um and then they've also got a, a new addition um safe exit assist um which is quite clever i did get to experience that on a um what was it the sportage where i had to park on the street um i was catching up with a friend for dinner and i parked in the street and i had a bus coming down um in in the other lane and as i pulled the the door handle uh, to open the door it actually gave me a warning and i wasn't expecting this i didn't know i was on the car and it gave me a warning that hey keep an eye out there is a vehicle coming um which i thought was very very cool um and 
I'm not too sure if it works with um, if it can detect cyclists yet, but I think as over time goes, I think that would be quite amazing if you can do that for cyclists because I know yeah. that is a big issue um, with cyclists and people. You know, cyclists are quite hard to see when you're hopping out of a car, so that would be a great addition. If it doesn't have it, at least at some point in the future, it would be nice to see. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, but this one does prevent um, the power sliding rear doors from opening and obviously because it stops young people from just hopping out and, and running out of the, you know running out of the car given that you do have sliding doors on each side the driver's side and the passenger side so I think that is a, a cool um, cool feature to have on a car like this makes sense yeah exactly um, and the more safety that you know they're putting into this sort of stuff with you know more uh, people on board and just the little things you know it, it kind of works works well and yeah it's you know seven airbags now um esc you know the stability management as well for the from from the driver point of view and that sort of stuff but yeah <laughs> all the acronyms now that we now get for these things it's i know, just, I know. Well, know. They, they put it in brackets so you've got fca lka bca isla daw bvm hba scc and scc lfa HDA and SVM. And what I find hilarious is that some of those are actually car models from different makers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd, maybe we start need to, you know, maybe, maybe we'll start seeing these on uh, driving tests to get your license. Oh, well, <laughs> list uh, list five of these acronyms and, and what they do. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure uh, even the most uh, seasoned people would have a, a tough time uh, working those ones out. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting just to see what they're putting into these now, and and yeah. just the list just keeps growing, and and I think it's kind of expected now, and and unless you're, you know, a brand that's going to go down this route and and really start packing, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later with uh, another car um, that is probably going to be very packed, which actually our next topic, um, but yeah, this packaging with more of this stuff in cars now is becoming essential but what does it do to pricing you know uh, people expecting pricing to to stay the same or be cheaper in these sort of times but it, you know adding this sort of technology to cars it doesn't come cheap um and this kind of leads us into our next topic ash yeah so look uh, this is set um things alight, uh, particularly from journalists. I, I, it's it's not very often you see a lot of journalists get annoyed um, with a car manufacturer. And um, <laughs> and it's because Toyota have detailed the brand new Yaris. Now, they're saying, look, it's advanced style performance and safety. But that obviously is coming at a price where some of these models are up to $9,000 more expensive um, than they were previously in the last generation. Uh, but it's a good looking car it's it's got um a whole heap of different options so you do have uh let me just scroll down so there's uh three different variants um and two different types of uh drive chains you can have so there's three in just a petrol 
um, that include one manual, so the Ascent Sport Manual, and that's the one that starts at $22,130 before your typical on-roads. And then you have uh, CVT for the rest of the model lineup and uh, in the SX and the ZR, so that they are the two top models, um, you do have also a hybrid option. Now that ZR hybrid maxes out at $32,100 before your on-roads. Um, and if you want premium paint, it's 500 or if you want to go two-tone, that's $450. So um, but we'll they're, better. But they're your only options. So your yeah. premium paint or your two-tone paint are your two options in terms of what you add to it. But you got to remember that you were talking at the top of the range there. Sure, the ZR CVT and the SX CVT are still, well, the ZR CVT is 30, 30 grand and the SX is 27 and the two hybrid versions are 29 and 32, but they're two hybrid versions of a of a compact car. Um, now, yeah, if I'm if you, I'm you're starting right, to, get to a point now, once you add your on roads on, that's like yes, 35, 36,000 yeah. dollars. That's almost 40. You know, I, that's a big jump, but like let's say 36,000 dollars, that's a Yaris. Like mm. you're, you're talking a tiny car and i in and we can't ignore the technology that is in there yes it is a hybrid and hybrids you know but then saying that the hybrid it's only two thousand dollar premium now that is probably the bigger news is that we've finally reached a point where it's kind of like what it used to be with a manual or an auto where it was about two thousand dollars difference if you wanted to go to the auto over the manual but but in saying that, actually, go back to manual and CVT, and it's it's a bit over a thousand dollars, you know, yeah. now for, for those models at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um. But yeah, look, you but know, once the, upon a time, you know, it's like twenty five thousand dollars was the max you'd pay for a Yaris. Yeah. Um, and and technology should be getting cheaper. It should be getting more affordable. And I, uh, I don't know. I I can see the value on one hand, but on the other hand, I just don't know, particularly with the times that we're in at the moment with COVID, whether, um, you know, and, and, you know, we've got certain government support, things like JobKeeper and things like that, scaling back even, um, you know, in September and then again early next year. So we don't even really know the economic fallout from this either. Um, can the market bear this are, are people going to be lining up and saying yeah cool i'm 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 all right with spending you know $22,000 for an entry level yaris or you know 36 or $35,000 for a for a hybrid top of the end model when all of the other competitors are still pushing that price point and still you know making a point about affordability and yeah sure you might not get a hybrid option or but in terms of the other safety systems um, they are you know, apart from, you know, so in terms of the top, and maybe we should, this is a good point to talk about what features there are. So, and we'll kind of work backwards. So the top of the line ZR has 16 inch alloy wheels, a rear spoiler, which yeah, it's a hatch. Uh, <laughs> so what? Um, a head up display. That's kind of cool. Sport front seats, kind of, kind of what you expect. Um, blind spot monitor, intelligent clearance sonar, parking support brake system, and paddle shift shifters on the petrol. Well, I don't know if you'd really be going for paddle shifters in a in a CVT um, petrol, but so that's the top of the line. So they're the features that you get. Um, standard features on the SX. So that's your mid range. Um, you get sat nav with pinch and zoom capability. Now pinch and zoom. Don't overestimate that. That is a that's a cool. A, that is a cool feature. Have. Don't yeah. normally see on infotainment systems. Normally it is just one finger um, capability. So that is 
slightly notable. Um, so forgive them for that one. Uh, speed limit display and warnings, automatic air conditioning, keyless smart entry, smart start ignition button, soft touch instrument panel, 15-inch alloy wheels, LED headlamps, indicators, and recombination lamps, and privacy glass. Now, that's where I kind of get unstuck where the SX is 27000 and 29000 for, you know, whether you go for the petrol or the hybrid. All of these features you can find in, uh, you know, let's say a, a Suzuki Swift Sport. You'll find those those features in there in a car that gives you over 100 kilowatts of power um, for about the same money, um, but obviously a, a bigger car. Um I don't know, I, I, and I'd be curious if, if you're if you're listening. You know, what does the price? Is this you know? Does it hit the mark in terms of price? Do you go those sorts of features? You go, yep, I can I can handle that. Particularly when you know when you add on Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, um, uh, the other features are pretty standard. Power Windows. Well, <laughs> I don't know a car that hasn't come with Power Windows, um, and if you're including that in your base spec like list of, of features i think you kind of draw you know you're pulling up straws to justify the price point um but yeah but you know if you're listening to this and you think oh, we're you know kind of being a bit silly well let us know but i i kind of find it I, when i saw the headlines of what you know the other journalists getting upset about the price i go ah, okay yeah that is a big price point but maybe they are making a huge technological leap with this and they've done it in the past and toyota i wouldn't necessarily put it past toyota for cars like this but reading through those i i don't know i don't know if the justification is is fully there it's partly there particularly with the hybrids but i don't think um we've made it all 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 the way there just yet in terms of justifying that price the thing is there's a big change ash so you talk we're talking about the the spec of it the new one is shorter and lower than its predecessor but with a longer wheelbase so if it's got more room inside um it's now running, you know, the hybrid, which is a possible of getting 3.3 litres per 100, which they haven't had in terms of, and I just closed it, uh, they haven't had a, uh, uh, this previous gen was released in 2011. Um, and back in 2011, just going back, Back then, there was a three-door and a five-door version. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I think there is only a five-door version yeah. at the moment. So back then, the five-door, for example, there was a YR, a YRS, and a YRX. Um, the ZR, they only had in the three-door, which is interesting, but the five-door had YR, YRS, and YRX, um, and they started at 15 and went through to 21. Mm. Um, an automatic trans transmission cost you next so to the, the base days. model is more expensive than the top model of the last generation. Yeah, um, but that's so do you just, think this should have changed the name and maybe retire Yaris and introduce? No, because Yaris they've got you got to remember that the Yaris GR is coming, and the Yaris is what they've based off the mm. the World Rally makes car. Makes me nervous. Makes me nervous what the Yaris <laughs> GR will be priced. Well, that was part of yeah, the other talk with, during during the week was that there was. Um, uh, the there was more talk of what will the GR sell for, yeah. um, you know, and for what it is, uh, where will it sit, where will it sell, um, you know, what will it, where will it be priced at? You know, people are worried now that it could be overpriced for what it is, but it's going to be unique. 
you know, it, for what it is and, and how unique it'll be in terms yeah. of where it'll sit in the market, um, you know, it, it's going to be it's going to be something that's going to be pretty cool. So, um, you know, in terms of what we're seeing, um, but like we said, you know, there's tech, you know, there's um, there's also the difference with um, the, the yen versus the dollar and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it's hard. It, look, yes, there is a big, big price difference and there has been a bit of a change. Um, here we go. So 2017 um, was the last, I think, update uh there was an ascent an sx and a zr um and they were 15 grand for the ascent 17 for the sx and 22 for the zr with options of premium paint 450 safe new safety features in the ascent and the sx is 650 dollars mm-hmm. and then an automatic transition transmission in the ascent and the sx of 1500 dollars um the interesting thing is is the boot space is actually less than the previous gen um this one is now saying 270 previous gen was saying 286 um but again boot space is always hard to say because depending on how it's how it's calculated to put to put a little bit of perspective sorry perspective on this the Prius C, which um, I guess is no longer really a thing anymore, um, with you know with the with the hybrid coming to the Yaris. But back in 2018, when it got its last update, now mind you, it didn't have um, any active safety tech or anything like that. It was essentially a seven-year-old car by the time it you know the last technical update came in in 2018 but that was a hybrid you're getting about you know i think when i drove one i got about 900 k's out of a tank from a you know a tank that cost me 30 dollars to fill up and um it was twenty four thousand dollars plus your on-roads which price the prius c yeah so yaris size um it didn't get it, we haven't seen or didn't really get to the point with any um, of the safety updates because they didn't do a ground up um, sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, update. But, you know, so even if you're going, hey, look, it's the hybrid technology or anything, and and I have to sort of say, well, um, if you factor in the, the, the improvement in the technology, the reduction of cost in the technology, I'll feel that you should be able to get that, you know, if you, if you look at the Prius C as an example, you should be able to, pricing for, for the Yaris should be, for the hybrid, even in the middle tier, probably should be around 26000 I think that would be a little bit more stomach, you know, easier to, to stomach and you kind of shift all the pricing down to, to suit that. So even if it is more expensive, it is a little bit more online with, um, you know, with a, an, like almost a perfectly equivalent hybrid from Toyota themselves for the, for the size. Yeah, but the, as I said, the, the market's changed and sure it is – a little bit higher, and there are other things out there that are probably a little cheap. bit. It's so much more. <laughs> like the cheapest model is more expensive. But look, I think the ultimate thing will be a we have to drive it and to see what it's like. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that a lot has changed, and you know, 
driving it, we will be able to tell, is it justified? So that's the first test. And, you know, that's the first logical test. The next one will be, um, what is, what is the reaction from the market? Will it race off the lot or will it sit there because you've got um, a slightly larger Corolla that is, yes, a little bit more expensive, but could, could be seen as offering a lot more value for that modest price jump. Um, or, do people just flock to to the competition because they're still sort of offering the you know the previous Yaris prices for an updated model? Um, and we look at you know Kia and Hyundai and that kind of thing um, as the as, as the examples there. So I think it's kind of it, it's kind of, I like I kind of like what I see on paper. If you ignored the pricing from that, um, particularly in the SX and the ZR models. I think they kind of make a lot of sense. The the Ascent Sport, I kind of see making a lot of sense for um, uh, rental fleets in their, you know, their budget yeah, the, entry level I've had, kind of thing. I've had one a couple of times on on rental fleets and stuff like that. So, um, but you think you got to remember also the fact is that it's Toyota, um, and these things are, you know. <sighs> They're going to go forever. They're going to last well. People are going to buy them. You know, if we took it, we look at the its competitor across at Honda, for example, the Jazz, mm-hmm. right? They start at 21 and goes up to 28, but with no hybrid. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, a similar set of price point-ish from where it starts to go. And, you know, people that have been in that, may have had a Corolla or something else and mm. want something smaller, you know, not everyone wants to have a bigger car. So, well, and, and the other thing that we might be, you know, we're not seeing the effect of right now, but the, the other thing where the advantage of the Yaris can come in and, and the advantage Toyota has over their competitors with the hybrid technology is the fact that with the emissions um, regulations that the EU now has, um, they're very, very strict. And the challenge is, is that um, smaller cars are actually going to have a harder time meeting those emissions restrictions. And so we could be seeing from um, a few other brands where they're going the either because they don't have the technology there just yet or the development costs to, to meet those emissions regulations are not there, they're going to sort of let those cars retire and and, and peter out. And well, I've seen it in the US, models. you know, there's there's less and less models now appearing in that market. Yeah. Um, you know, the the hatches and sedans are effectively um, disappearing, particularly when we're seeing, you know, like the Volkswagen T Rock. You know, the, the the Yaris itself is having an SUV. Um, was it the Yaris or was it the Corolla? The Corolla, Corolla, Corolla. Corolla. Um, so we're seeing a lot more of the the could you call it like compact SUV? Yeah, you know, that really fine. small. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 probably just a little bit too early, maybe um, from Toyota just to to arrive, and it, maybe it's going to send a bit of a shock, or it's going to give the green light to to other makers when they update their model, going, look, yep, you can you can get away with the slightly higher pricing because you know they've they've laid the, the you know the foundation for it. Um, at the beginning but yeah i i, I want to drive one because i think it looks good and i yeah. think it, there's a I'm lot intrigued of to see what, it. what it's like um, i mean the previous one was a little bit uh sort of the auto box wasn't brilliant so i'm keen to try this new you know back to its competitors you look at the picanto from kia 
that starts yeah. at 16 and goes up to 19. Yeah. So, and that's the, you go up to something like the, the, the GT um, in it. And, you know, that's 22 drive away. Yeah. So, uh, look, you know, out of the two... And that Picanto GT looks pretty good. I know, it's a great-looking car. Yeah. But, again, there's no hybrid, but... No, no, um, you're right. It's a, it's a big ask to go into something. But Hyundai don't have anything anymore that's in that market. So yeah. Kia is one, MG is another. Um, but I think Toyota are probably going to run off the fact that their brand is... You know, the, their brand has always been one of the strongest points for them. So I think we'll probably see a few of these. The investment in hybrid is paying off now. Yeah, it's, exactly. They've been doing it for a long time now. The They are a little bit behind on the electric side, but in terms of hybrid, they're definitely um, one of the leaders in that, in that regard. Yeah. And the fact that people will buy, people will see the biggest thing for them, and I'm sure we'll see it in terms of their their push for this in the market, will be yeah. the fact that 3.3 litres, just the fuel economy in this thing alone, yeah. um, is going to be a really big push yeah. for them, um, plus also the safety facts. Um, of it, I think it'll probably, even though it is higher, I think people will possibly pay the more money for it because of what it is um, and mm-hmm. the badge on on the front of it. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's right. I'll have to just wait a little bit longer to be justified <laughs> in my anger or not. <laughs> but yeah, look, I'd be keen to see what other people are thinking from a outside of you know the journalist, um, motoring rider kind of world, um, to see if people you know because at the same time you know people are going out and buying cars all the time we get the you know we're lucky that we don't have to buy it you know we have to go out and buy the vehicle to to be able to drive it um and get our thoughts on the performance but it it is also it's it's not perfect when making the economic argument um arbitrarily when we're not the ones sitting down and 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 looking at the figures based on our personal use case let's see if it's justified or not you know let's see what the sales figures do that well we watch them every month so let's see when these go on sale when they what the market what the numbers do and i think it'll Mm. be interesting to watch because we always know the car of the year from different publications never translates into sales So it doesn't matter how good we think the car is, it doesn't always correlate with uh, with what sells because it's not always the quality of the car that sells the vehicle. So it's, um, yeah. But we love diving into those and obviously we're sneaking up onto another month um, where we'll get some, uh, you know, hands on some juicy, juicy sales figures, particularly, uh, you know, with... With uh, the lockdown going on in, in, in Melbourne um, and continuing, probably the, the most severe it's ever been, um, and that's going to have that big impact on, you know, on, on sales figures when you take out a, a market like that. Uh, but look, let's have a little bit of fun. Um, let's let's have a look at our uh, bring a trailer picks. Um, I will check in and say that that 1967 Ferrari 330 GT um, that I looked at sold for. Two hundred and ten thousand US dollars. <laughs> what a for a collector over there. Yeah, that's right. But uh, how'd you go? Uh, so yeah, I had my Cadillac sold for six fifty five. Uh, the CTSV wagon that I looked at, which I think is still a, a bargain for what it is. Um, the Ford GT, the Heritage Edition, sold for three hundred and ninety thousand, um, which is probably still a bargain for that car. Because yeah, they, I feel like um, that's a yeah. 
that's a good deal for that. Um, the Chevrolet K30 um, Ute went for 34, uh, 750, but the bargain I reckon was the 85 Audi 90 Quattro went for six thousand seven hundred dollars. Wasn't a lot at all. No, but you know, really, really well um, priced for what it is at, at the end mm. of the day, and just how well it sold um, to get. Well, to get that, but to, you know, I just can't get over the market in the US for stuff like that. Like it, it's such a good, it's, it's good bargain. Unpredictable um, with some of that stuff that goes on. Yeah. But, no, good, good buy for whoever picked it up. But so, uh, what did you, what did you pick this week? So I had again, I had some interesting stuff that I found. Um, there was a 1976 Chevrolet Vega Camback, which mm-hmm. is a um, uh, it is a two door wagon. So again, I'm disappointed Mickey's not here tonight to be able to see, um, you know, the the stuff that I'm finding. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it into the show notes. Actually, you can uh, have a look. But yeah, there was this uh, this Vega. Vegas are you know they're interesting. This thing's done fourteen thousand miles. It's a lovely metallic green. Um, it's currently at seven and a half grand, and it's got two days to go. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's cool. A two door a two door wagon. Look, I don't think the Vegas are the best. Thing, set the world on fire mm-hmm. in terms of how cool they are, but this thing is uh, is pretty awesome. And you know, it's seven seven and a half grand. It, it's it's going to be a good buy because it's you know pretty pretty new, but it's not uh, overly powerful. It only has a two point three liter inline four. <laughs> yeah. um, my next find <laughs> was a, going on was a very low K nineteen ninety BMW Z one. Oh, you stole mine. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but I've got a good backup. <laughs> you don't see many of these around anymore, and I just love the the drop down doors in this thing. Mm. Um, this thing's only done two hundred and eighty four kilometers, two hundred and eighty four kilometers, uh, just uh, about one hundred and seventy six thousand mile um, uh, miles. Uh, and yeah, so got a clean Florida title, a uh, little cool soft top. It's in immaculate nick. It's manual. Um, as I said, it's got it's at forty five thousand dollars with two days to go. Yeah. So someone's going to want to buy this. Um, I remember and- seeing one of these for sale in Australia. Left hand drive hadn't been touched. Um, in pretty average, like it was in working condition, but I think it was about thirty thousand Australian. Yeah. Wow. What a bargain um, that would have been. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was just in love with it because of just how unique it was. Yeah, exactly. People know that the Z1 exists. No, it's one of those forgotten cars. Yeah. Uh, my next one is a, a 1978 Ford Mustang II, which generally aren't very well liked, but this is the King Cobra, which was their sort of sports version. They only made 4,300 examples of, of these. This thing's done 63,000 miles. It's got a 302 V8 in it. Um, it's got – it's at two days to go, and it's got – it's only at eight – $8,800. So um, this is quite a nice looking car. Looks in reasonably good condition. Um, you know, it's got a whole bunch of receipts and stuff with it. It's quite nice. It's got the uh, the the 
bird on the the bonnet it's it's black with a sort of red trim um yeah it's a little bit different in terms of of what it is and these mustang twos i think will be the next car in the mustang range i mean fox bodies at the moment are really popular i think mustang twos in particularly these king cobras i think are the next cars to really explode in value um my next oddity that i found which i thought was kind of um well, I've never seen one before, so it's very different. 2004 Lexus IS300 Sport Cross. So mm. it's an IS300, but it's effectively like a wagon slash hatchback, four-door. Um, yeah, I've never seen one of these, one of these. before. No. Three-liter, inline-six, five-speed auto. Um, yeah, it's... And there seems to be a couple for sale as well. <laughs> Previous <laughs> auctions, yeah. $9,000, two days to go. Um, very weird. I'm guessing maybe it's... It looks with, a little Saab-like from the back. It does. It's very like that Saab WRX kind mm. of combination car. Um, I'm intrigued. It doesn't actually say anything in the listing, but I'm intrigued to see whether it's a special Japanese market car that has somehow made its way to, mm. to the US. Because I don't know if there's been, a, I've seen a lot of these around um, and, you know, whether it's something quite unique. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a little bit different. So that was um, it was another one of the interesting finds that I found. And then I, we actually had a full race car this week, which was a Janetta G57. Oh, you took all my cars. <laughs> <laughs> race car. Um, 110,000, three days to go. Uh, it is, I'm guessing it's an LM. Well, it looks like an LMP2 car. Was it LMP2 or was it LMP2? LMP uh, LMP3 car. I'm just trying to read it. Cool looking thing. Janetta's were a real are, are a really nice car in that era. It doesn't say much about what its history is. So um, yeah, they did say it. Um, it, it oh, yeah, the the details aren't great. It says reportedly winning the 2016 Fire Homestead 500. So even the person selling it doesn't know what they've got, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit concerning. Uh, yeah, Foyt completed in Formula and Automobile Racing Associations events in Florida. Um, so it's a Florida car. So it's obviously probably not done a lot. I'm guessing someone with a lot of money had it. Bought, bought into the US and then hasn't yeah. actually done a lot with it. But yeah. um, 110 grand, it's probably quite cheap, but it doesn't say what <laughs> what it comes with in terms yeah. of other parts. So and stuff. We're looking, at, looking at the Wikipedia page for it, um, it says that it's, a, it's an evolution of, or essentially like a, a relative of the Genetta Juno LMP3. Um, so it's a sport prototype was fitted with a more powerful Chevy LS3 engine um, and has 30% more downforce than the, the LMP3 race car. So it's a, it's a faster, more downforce, a, a heavier downforce vehicle um, that's derived from their L, LMP3. It's kind of funny because it is a, a prototype production vehicle, but um, yeah, so it seems to have... <laughs> Maiden, there's there seems to be a few around, um, but yeah, it's certainly it's it's finished in bare carbon fiber, which I think oh, yeah. is great. 
Um, not going to be a cheap thing to fix though <laughs> if you have no, a crash. No. So there's a few interesting comments below in the uh, in the listing. People talking about you know a new front end for it is just forty thousand dollars alone. Yeah. Um, someone says they should take it to Pikes Peak. Um, mm. A few other people talking about a few other things. So uh, yeah, quite interesting. Um, so yeah, my other one, which was probably my pick, and it was the last thing that I that I kind of found when I was going through it tonight. So uh, I know I did steal a couple of yours, but my yeah. predominant pick is a twenty one thousand mile ninety three Dodge Viper RT ten, so first gen Viper. Um, in the red with a hard top with those famous three spoke wheels. Um, it's done. I saw one of those just the other day driving around here. Yeah, there's been a few in Queensland. Queensland was quite popular them for a while. Mm. Um, it was actually bought on car was first registered in Missouri, later spent time in Maryland and Virginia before it was acquired by the seller from bringing a trailer only last year. So uh, it's been sold before on bring a trailer but it is just stunning this spec um with these wheels is just awesome and it's also an early gen you can tell because the pipes come out the side um mm-hmm. under the under the doors um it's got the just don't burn your leg on the way out <laughs> exactly there's actually a warning warning card i don't know whether it actually says it. you can see it in these photos but with the ones that i've actually seen yeah there's a warning placard usually in the door frames of these things mm-hmm. saying beware of the hot exhaust um this has got the proper steering wheel on it as well They've, i've sent another one of these here in oz that didn't have the the proper wheel on it um but this thing is just stunning it just it's my dream car i know that they're uh, not the nicest thing to drive they're very tail happy with a lot of with the v10 engine in it but you know it's just one of those things it, it'd purely be a summer cruiser um just something to potter around about you know you're not going to really want to drive it too fast you'd never drive it in the wet but it's just one of those things that is just it just exudes mm-hmm. uh coolness um look if, if you buy one i'll i'll find a spot <laughs> for it up here and just uh let you drive it whenever you make your way up how's that well it's a perfect perfect market for it up there yeah. in that part of the world so it's got six days left it's at 22 grand my guess is it'll probably go looking at what you have been watched these for a while on make them over the years my guess it'll probably go between 30 and 40 grand um is what the market is kind of selling them for but even you know to get one of those for that kind of money and then bring it here and i don't, know, I don't care what you got to pay for it but just pay for it to be converted to uh, to oh, actually, no, it's almost old enough, so you should be able to fit in. No, 87 is the rule at the moment. But if they oh, up in Queensland, it'll fit in, I think. If you can do that, if the 25 rule year rule was allowed to shift, um, then it'd be all, it'll be all right. It means I could put it on club plates here, but yeah, it's still, um, it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my pick this week. Yeah. So, is there anything I didn't steal of yours, Ash? Uh, look, I guess I have to settle on this one. It's a 1991 Mercedes Benz 300 GD five speed pop up camper. So, it's a, oh, you got to share the link to that one for me. Yeah, so it's a G Wagon, um, with a pop top. Uh, so it's uh, a bit cool. Let me uh, drop it in there for you to have a look. We so in case you don't know, we, we don't tell each other what these uh, vehicles are that we're looking at as our picks each week. Um, so we keep it as a bit of a surprise, but I've just dropped that into our little chat there for you. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. So it's um, 
certainly with the the times that we have now where you know we're we're not flying overseas i think it works out perfectly well it kind of looks a little bit like it's out of jurassic park um yeah, just with I the love, blue and black i love the two-tone on it that two-tone paint job yeah. is and it's awesome. designed for for camp because there's no um it is a four door so it's got the two sets of doors but there is no second row of seats so all the seats have been removed um so it's ready for you to pop you know to set up uh, the car exactly as it is. I wonder where it is in the states. It's in it's in Colorado. Yeah, so that makes sense. It's it's a, it's a spot that you'd expect uh, people to be um, going out and exploring and camping. Uh, but yeah, so it's got a two hundred twelve thousand kilometers, which you know for a car that age isn't really a surprise. It is a three liter diesel, so it should you know it's barely run in, as some would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got a two-speed transfer case, three locking diffs. Um, you know, I think it's a kind of perfect, uh, perfect, unique vehicle. That's for sure. Oh, just the the fun to escape out of the, with this thing is just oh, with the mm-hmm. yeah the second row out of it um, and the pop top on it, and it's a solid roof on it as well. There's a little yeah. escape hatch as well for the um, for it. I love the plate on it. It's got a fake european g-wagon yeah. plate on it um, so it's currently it's got five days to go but it's twelve and a half thousand. um so it's certainly within the realm of being you know relatively relatively affordable which i always like that you <laughs> like the, foot, the foot plates as well on the yeah on it and on the uh so on the side fender yeah it's all, all relatively good Good nick as well. Yeah, the interior is in good nick as well. Yeah. That's a just great a few, Just a few bits and pieces, I think, which um, you can see they've changed the between the photos um, to some more road-friendly tyres. Um, obviously, they were coming back from an adventure because one set of photos, are quite, you know, the car's quite dusty, um, but it's got the pop-top up. And uh, But, yeah, it looks like it's a car that can really go anywhere. Yeah, they've uh, obviously used it a fair bit, I reckon, yeah. and uh, it's obviously had some fun. Yeah, the yeah. under the floor's been changed. There's underfloor storage in the in the front and the rear. Um, yeah, yeah, they've done. They've put a lot of effort into it, and it does yeah. have a fold out bed across that roof as well. So it actually it's quite clever because it folds away um, above the where the driver and the passenger is, and then as you pop that roof up, you fold the bed out, and uh, you don't have to touch anything below. You climb up, get to sleep, and then um, pack it all away quite quickly. I think that's very. I love it. Yeah, it's in good nick underneath too. If you look at uh, the underneath photos, it, you know, is obviously yeah, what you expect for a car, car of that age. But yeah. they've taken, like you said, Ash, they've taken the wheels off it and t- changed the rubber over. Yeah, um, so it looks actually, like it's got snow tires on there. From if I'm reading the description, yeah, correctly. So it, obviously, with the different um, different uh, seasons, they get that that makes sense. Someone asks in the comments, is it? Was it a formerly a Kiss touring rig with the paint job? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I'll be keen to see what this sells for. I'm, I'm actually a little bit jealous because I, you know, they've, they've also been quite comprehensive with the photos. Um, there's 98 photos. You don't get that yeah. many. And they've shown all underneath, um, you know, so you know exactly what you're getting. You know, looking at this, I go, yeah, I'll be comfortable putting a bid down compared to some of the other photos I think other sellers put up. 
doesn't have aircon, which is interesting. So um, there are a few people saying whether it's legal to run it in California and also does it have aircon. So um, interesting for that. Um, yeah, a couple of notes in that makes it quite interesting. Yeah. But no, and they've been quite, they've scanned in the entire log books, which I think is cool. Um, the latest um, sort of things stating what's been changed. So, yeah, I think that's that's great. I think it's a, I, I think that's what bringing trailers is great for. It's, it's, a, it's a hidden gem, that's for sure. Yeah, it's great with some of the stuff that appears on there. No, but uh, look, let's let's dive in some of these uh, bits of international news. Some of it's more fun than others. So the first one is that you know, as as you'd probably expect with the James Bond movie that should have been out by now but has been delayed, um, we we have two new limited edition models from Aston Martin uh, to obviously coincide with uh, the upcoming movie. Um, <laughs> Very much, you know, the they call it the Aston Martin Vantage 007 Edition, the DBS Superleggera. Um, so they've got the two, the Vantage and the DBS Superleggera. Um, yeah, I, it, it's basically just a, a paint job and a, and a leather choice, isn't it, uh, from what I can see? Yeah, it's, it looks it, nice. it's cool to see. I mean, if you if you're in the market to buy one and you're a you're a double O seven buff, then this is um mm. is pretty cool. So um, like the sun... super Legera looks great. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's yeah. quite interesting. The the sun visors of all cars carry a subtle film reference in the shape of an embroidered radio station frequency ninety point ninety six point 96.60, which was known as the Russian police band frequency Bond uses in the living daylights. So, you know, it's clever that little things like that. Um, uh, there's, you know, the seatbacks have got ch- uh, cello, cello F-holes uh, inspired by the, the cello scene from, again, the living daylights. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool that they've gone down and, and, and done some of these little unique things and i think that. this is what really separates it so i said just before you know it's a cosmetic job but i think these are the things that take it that step further and um not only makes it uh you know one of those things that's great for a uh somebody wanting a, a you know a film referencing but also in terms of from a car collector point of view you can't just go out and you know easily get those things done from the factory um, compared to just getting a paint and leather choice, so I think that's that's really cool and adds a lot of, you know, a bit of uh, a bit of depth into you know what a special edition should be um, versus other other special editions that we see from from makers every now and again. Yeah, and the fact that they've had that tie-in, you know, Aston from you know as early as uh, as. Um, Goldfinger from from back in the day, and then when they've revisited of the the more recent films, um, you know, particularly when they relaunch Bond with uh, with Daniel Craig, is that you know that DBS that they released around that time was you know was pretty cool that they've had that and that relationship has continued, and we've seen that in you know in the films. Um, and it's continued, so it's 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 pretty cool. Um, it's a shame BMW never really did that when they had uh, Bond's cars as his company cars. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool to to see this and the fact that that not only has Aston gone to and created this, but they've gone that real you know extra mile and created 
uh, all these little unique things within the cars and not, they haven't just done one car they've done two different versions you know they've, yeah they've, it wasn't even just one they've they have, they've doubled down <laughs> yeah exactly to, to go down and, and do two models um is pretty cool you know to do the the dbs and and the vantage um you know it it's 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 good and it's a lot it's a lot of you know time and effort to to create these and and to obviously have that relationship with the with the filmmakers um there's some great photos in there there's a shot with the the aston with the skis on the roof as well and um you know which is obviously a little bit of an homage to to bond and some of the stuff that he's done in the past with the lotuses and and you know the little the typical really nice um door trim badge and the seats look magnificent in it and the finish on them i just just love the alloy wheels they're very oh yeah they're great but the little thing on the um uh the armrest the little 007 badge as well and and just the stitching and everything it's just yeah they've really thought about this Mm. And they've gone to town, you know, the rear where the rear center seat would normally be in these, there's a nut, the, the armrest there has got a really nice 007 logo embroidered in it. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, I'd be, I'd love to see if one of these made it to Oz, um, mm. but I reckon because they're going to be so limited in terms of the number of I don't think we'll probably see one. I'd love to th- think that we might, but um, yeah. Avid Aston Martin. Um, I think so. The Vantage 007 edition is the one that's limited to 100 units globally. So we might see one or two of those. Yeah. Um, but the DBS is the one that is limited to, to just 25. Yeah. But you know, it's and the DBS is obviously the the more unique one of of, of the two, probably mm. as well. Being... Yeah, so that's about two hundred eighty thousand pounds, where the Vantage is one hundred sixty one thousand pounds. So yeah, quite a big price difference too. <laughs> and it also depends on what film fan you are, because the Vantage well, pays exactly right. pays homage to the Living Daylights, and the DBS uh, pays homage to No Time to Die. So um, you know, I think if you're a Bond fan, like. Uh, a lot of people, you'd probably want to go for the the older one, you know, mm. the Living Dalits, if you're a fan of that. So, yeah, very cool. Uh, I love it. Um, hats off, Aston Martin. Yeah, well done. And and maybe the next bit is perhaps not hats <laughs> off. You only have to um, mention the name of this brand and most people will go, what have they done now? Yeah. So to me, so Mansonry have done a uh, 4GT. They finally got their hands on a 4GT and it's a, if you, if you want a Mansonry 4GT, it'll cost you about $2.8 million. Um, it's just one of three they're building. Um, but uh, as driving.ca uh, have, uh, have said, it's probably a good thing there's only three because um, yeah, they've, they don't just change body parts and add a body kit or anything like that to when they do a, a mansonry vehicle. They sometimes, you know, change significant parts of it to to make it and adapt the styling. And um, I don't know, when you look at this, it kind of looks like a, a Lego version of a Ford GT, you know, where it's just like it looks close enough, but it's, it's just off a little bit because of the shape of the Lego bits. Um, that's what it looks like to me. What about, what about you, Joel? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's Mansory. They just do extreme stuff. Um, look, it's it's different. It's Normally, they, see, like they the... aim for different oh, yeah. stuff. It's just it's just over the top, really. Um, I like some of the stuff, but 
Like, I don't mind that front end, but just the whole... Yeah, yeah see, I'm not a big fan of the front end. It looks like there's a big piece of it. Because uh, I've got, uh, for those listening, on the the outside where the headlights are, where it comes back up to the to the windscreen, the middle part is all... Um, it's a separate layer, and it's carbon fibre, and then the other part is, is painted um, in, in a blue metallic which is quite nice the blue metallic um, is nice but i'm not a, yeah. not a fan of the the checker plate uh carbon in it but yeah nice. look this is just man sorry they do this i think just for the shock value and and what they like to create so yeah um you know, one addition of a 4gt which i'm liking <laughs> oh yeah is this and and you know it's up to debate whether you think there's too many special editions now but Never. um but this <laughs> First ever 4GT Heritage Edition that celebrates the 66 Daytona win um, looks amazing. Um, I, I don't think there's any other way to describe it. That it's done in the 98 car um, that raced, and yeah, I think the proportions, the colours, everything just matches it perfectly. Looks looks brilliant. Yeah, look, it's great. It's nice to see that they've gone back, and you know, the the previous stuff was. Um, you know, has always been Lamage, Le Mans, and, and homage to Le Mans and everything like that. But Daytona was their was their first win in that era in uh, t- in the launch of the Ford GT. And yeah. having just recently rewatched uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which is yeah. such a, such a great film, uh, it's cool to see that this has come out as as a release. So, um, you know, Ken Miles was the man that was the that was the brilliance behind creating this car, the original first Ford GT and mm-hmm. and effectively taking it from what it originally was debuted as to to working with Shelby and the rest of the guys to to turn it and to fine tune it into to the winner that it, that it was at Daytona that then led to the dominance at Lamar at Lamar. Uh so yeah, it's nice to see that they've done this homage to to Daytona and that original original vehicle. Yeah, I th- yeah, it's <laughs> It's kind of speechless, and, and they have a great video sort of talking about um, the the history around it and sort of, you know, what led them to do that Heritage Edition, um, and I think it's quite nice, and we'll, we'll put a link into it um, in the show notes for you to check out. But, yeah, I think I mean, it's – Ford, Ford, Ford just knows how to build great – heritage cars i think oh. even even if you just look at the gt itself um and looking back and then obviously with the bronco they just know how to to take a classic timeless design and, and modernize it for these iconic vehicles now they they don't always do a great job of some of the other models but when it comes to um building a car that honors past vehicles whilst also looking forward they've done it well even with the mustang bullet um it, it's just yeah they, they do a great job um with these and this is just another one that that just looks right it looks great yeah and it's cool to see that they've done this um you know so as i said so much of the previous models were all around le mans cars and everything else so to to go back to for that uh, i think it, mm. that's cool um they're only going to make 40 of them too, um, which is cool. So it's going to be even more limited. Um, but hopefully, you know, we might see um, oh, 40 across two years, across 2021 and 2022. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a unique car. I'd love to see one of those eventually land down 
down here, I think, but um, the demand for them is pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Particularly with all the uh, the hoops they make uh, for GT owners uh, jump through. Yeah, exactly. But look, uh, I guess going back to a, another mid-engine car that's probably a little bit more achievable um, in terms of price uh, and even reality of getting one down here um, in Oz, uh, the, it's been teased for a little while. I've been working on one since even way back in January, but um, a flat plane V8 could be, uh, you know, it's out and testing in the open for the Corvette. Yeah, so there's some video that's appeared uh, this week of a um, C8 uh, Corvette Z06, which is generally the uh, the hot version of the the Corvette, um, and it's video of it entering the um, test GM's testing facility uh, in the US, and it doesn't enter. And the engineer driving it was not holding back. No, <laughs> uh, and you can hear the engine. The, the the thought is that it could be a flat plane crank which if you've ever heard a flat plane crank engine, you'll know what we're referring to and just how good uh, it sounds and just the the noise that it puts out. I mean, if you've heard a GT350 Mustang, you know how good that it sounds. Um, the previous gen from memory, um, the Erebus Mercedes Supercars, uh, they used to run a flat plane crank V8 Um in their supercars from memory yeah they did so mm. and they had a very unique noise to them um which is which is pretty cool but yeah flat plane ferrari also use them in some of their models um so yeah people are getting excited that this is possibly going to be the coming to the um Z, the z06 which means that we should be seeing one down here um through the gmsv uh, given that they will be factory right-hand drive. So fingers crossed that uh, a few will make it down under. Yeah, we'd like to think that if they're going to offer it, yeah. um, again, I think it may be a while before we um, before we actually see them because obviously yeah. the Z06 the I'm will okay be... with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Like as long as we get it eventually and they keep going you know, on this great trajectory they're on, I'm okay with that. I can live yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. If it's going to come, well, we're happy to wait. But if, it, if it's going to make it here. So, yeah, the flight plane is currently running in the Z in the C8R, which is the, the race version of the C8. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's cool to see. It sounds amazing. Um, I'm sure I shall post the, the little clip um, from the guys at Motor Authority so you can actually hear it for yourself. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty cool sounding thing. Mm. So, going from a mid-engined uh, flat <laughs> flat plane uh, V8, there's a there's this weird, just weirdly disguised Volkswagen getting around in wagon form, but it it's made to look like an old track, so the off-roading type. But it seems like it's a Golf R. Yeah, they. Everyone seems to think it. Look, looking at uh, the the guys from Autoblog, have posted some images of. Uh, of it looks a little bit like an all track, but it, which is the off road version, like you said, Ash. But it's got bigger wheels on it. It's got bigger brakes. 
Um, yeah, so we think we might have seen the 8th Gen Golf R Wagon. We've already seen the 8th Gen Golf uh, come out, but this could be the um, new Golf R Wagon. It's a way to, to disguise it. And yeah, but the companies like trains. to do this. They like to do this sort of stuff and put, you know, drivetrains in cars that are of a similar sort of shape and everything, but just not the same look. Um mm. So yeah, it's funny when you see the cooling system in the front poking through that all track uh, front bar, and you go, ah, you can't. There's just certain things you can't hide mm-hmm. uh, with a different exterior. Mm-mm. And that's why they say that it's uh, you know effectively um, uh, that you know that they're they're hiding it within another body, which what they do. The funny thing is, it doesn't have any um, traditional. Uh, covering of the, or maybe a little bit around the where the events are at the front, down the bottom, where the, the yeah, fog lights. There is something funky going on there. Yeah, it's slightly different, but traditionally this sort of stuff you kind of see in some form of camo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's there's it's, definitely some other shapes going on there. Yeah, um, when you have a look at there's there's something being covered up, but I think that's just more just to help with the the cooling going on rather than because there's no other aerodynamic stuff going on. Uh, with it, except for you know, yeah, the wheels and and the exhausts and yeah, it's not going around the headlights as well. Yeah. So it it's obviously a version that they've actually done something to. But yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Very to see. subtle though. Yeah, they're a great car. I'm intrigued to see if if it does end up coming. Well, you know, it's good that they're doing it. They're not just doing the special edition, you know, uh, that we got last time, which was in limited numbers. This time, it looks like it's going to be a proper mm. production edition. So add that to the M3 uh, touring that we're getting. It seems like the the wagons, the performance wagons, are are on the way. Yeah, it's good. Reinforcements to say. are coming. Who will be first? Will it be uh, Will it be VW or will it be uh, <laughs> Will it be um, BMW? Well, one thing they certainly won't be uh, first to do is um, <laughs> BMW, particularly, um, is revealing a uh, it's a retro um, electric Rolls Royce. Um, there's only thirty build slots. Pricing begins from three hundred and fifty thousand pounds, but it's uh, based on a nineteen sixty one Rolls Royce Phantom V, which is probably one of the best looking uh, Rolls Royce vehicles, and it's completely electric. It's really cool. Yeah, the the photo, the photo that, that leads that leads the release is cool. It's a it's a rear three quarter shot of the sixties um, Rolls Royce Phantom, but then. The weird thing you look at it, there's this big orange power cord leading yeah. into the back of it, so yeah. putting it on charge. Um, you know, this is is a cool idea. The the fact that you can, I mean, if you've got one that you know, if that that had the mechanical issues and stuff like that, to then pull the running gear out, make it electric. These kind of cars suit this electric drivetrain. It just oozes presence but then the fact that you could drive it and turn up and it not even make a noise is just it just goes along with the rest of the the feel Mm -hmm. for for rolls royce and um its presence on the road yeah so there's it seems to be a um a number of like a, a large number of demand or relatively large um, demand for these electrified vehicles. And it makes sense, right? If you, if you own one of these classic ones, but you live in a particular area that you do, um, you, you know, you have emissions limited areas or, you know, you've got to have the green areas and that kind of thing. Um, but you want to 
modify you know modernize a particular car and still drive it and enjoy it well this is a logical step and i think it probably fits exactly into the the style and the philosophy that goes into rolls royce which is about you know a, a smooth silent driving experience and what's better than an electric drivetrain in a classic rolls royce it just and i can see i could see these being popular in la different parts of europe it just um i could see yeah i if i was in the position and and i had a um you know in in dropping 350,000 pounds on on something like this i would i would probably consider it i i, I love the idea i think it's great as yeah, long so- as you could keep the running gear and and keep it preserved somewhere. So if you did want to go back, which I know that some of these electric companies do, in fact, do, they have that sort of like reversing option if you want to do that to preserve the history of the car. Um, but overall, I, I, I like it. And they ship it back to its bare metal and it's basically yeah. 3D scanned and it's basically designed to have you know, to create this CAD version of it um, and then it's basically designed modern convenience including mm. um, screens and and setups inside, satellite communi- telecommunication and Wi-Fi and all this sort of the stuff. Is, it's a huge battery. It's 120 kilowatt hours, which is yeah. the largest type of uh, largest of its type in the world and gives you a range of over 300 miles, which is pretty amazing for a vehicle that size. Like these yeah. are big cars. Yeah. And it's just, it's just what they're doing to it. And you can see where the money's going. Um, you know, it's pretty impressive just to see what they're creating at the, at mm. the end of the day. So um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. And it's nice to see that people are, are taking these cars like the, like this, like these rolls and, and electrifying them and, and yeah. giving them, effectively giving them another life, really. Yeah. Well, this is the same company. Lunas is the same company that also electrified the Jaguar XK120. Um, so they've they've also got a good experience. So it's not like it's going, you know, yeah, convert my priceless uh, Rolls Royce or anything. They've they've actually um, done this all before, and obviously have got a, a good got history with it. History and working yeah. with this kind significant of... classic cars. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the key thing. Um, not just converting, like say, an E30 BMW, but you know, a significantly and in, valuable uh, historic car like that. Mm. Love it. Love the photos. The website's great. Yeah, really, really nice looking yeah. thing. Anyway, should we touch on a little bit of Formula One yep. um, and in supercars? So Formula One, the key thing uh, this week has been the uh, Concord Agreement that's been signed by all 10 teams. So that helps define their commitment to... Uh, to Formula One, 2020, I think it was 2021 or 2022 onwards. And so obviously that includes some of the regulations and all those sorts of things. But it also talks about, um, it outlines the the payment uh, scheme and, and how that works based on the point payments and heritage payments and all that sort. So um, even though there was a bit of contention between Mercedes and the other teams of wanting to get recognition for their obviously recent success within Mercedes, um, everyone seemed to have, have signed that now um, and everyone's on board. So that's great to know that we have uh, all 10 teams moving forwards. And there is even talk of one more team joining, um, but I think that's still a little bit away uh, from that. But it'd be great to even have a a a 22-car field. I think that would be even better. 
Um, but the biggest bit of news this week has been that Williams has been sold to a U.S. investment firm. Um, so it's no longer a privately uh, run racing team by the Williams family, but now it is. Um, yeah, so part of it is obviously we've, we've known for quite a long time that Williams has been facing a lot of financial stresses, um, particularly, and, and been tied a lot to um, particular sponsorships or, or those sorts of things. So their ability to invest in development has been has been limited somewhat. They've, they've had some great progress this season, but um, nothing beats having a, a solid amount of investment to help you know, making a, a car go faster um, or being able to find the right resources to, to help make that happen. Um, and so, yeah, the big the big hope is that whilst the, the Williams family will still be involved and, and the Williams name will be uh, retained, um, the hopefully the boost in funding will also yeah turn into to competitiveness, but it also means it's the last UK based team um, to now be actually not owned or, or run by a British entity, which is an, you know it's a, it's an interesting bit of trivia. It doesn't really mean much, but yeah, it's it's interesting trivia none, none, nonetheless. Look, it's sad to see that you know they are no longer. Mm owned uh, the Williams family have have been involved in Formula One for many many years first obviously Sir Frank and then now his daughter Claire but they're still staying as part of the team mm-hmm. um, you know the the team has got full support and so is the board um, of this purchase but I think it's it's kind of what we expect now that these investment firms and things like that have decided to come in and help these businesses and they are effectively a business mm-hmm. um, and they obviously want to see a return on their investment um, it's another American American team is uh, another American entity as well. So that you know that now is Haas, that is Liberty Media. So I think it's it shows that there's probably a little bit of you know um, the the interest from America is increasing, and that could only mean a great thing for Formula One as a sport. Yeah, and so it may force or help push the hand of Formula One to, and I know they've been trying to try and get another um, American round again. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we haven't had one this year due to COVID and they couldn't get back to Texas. But, you know, they've been talking uh, a street circuit or something of some, to- some type for a while. But with more American brands or companies being involved, we'd like to see more American brands being sponsors, which then would mean that, you know, it's a shame that the Miami Grand Prix never really got off the, off the ground but mm. you know the two different locations they were looking at there looked all look quite interesting but you know for Williams it's good for them it means that they no longer have to worry about financial issues could this see um then bounce back you know leading into the new rules from 2022 could this help them further invest in building a better car for those new rules um yeah it's interesting to watch and i think it's it can only be good for the team mm. um and for formula 1 in general Absolutely, um, and particularly with uh, as as we're heading into now, it feels weirdly the the second half of the season. Effectively, um, it, it shows that interesting times are still ahead uh, for this season, the next season, and obviously when the new regulations come in. So it should be an interesting couple of years, um, even if Mercedes dominance continues, perhaps for another year or so. Um, that's probably the one question mark will be will other teams be able to step it up 
uh, next year, you know, the Ferrari, um, you know, they're, they're, they're having their issues and, and they're losing a lot of public support through it. Um, but it seems like they're, they're putting a bit of effort into basically completely overhauling the engine for next season, um, despite the change in regulations. So I, I think if it, if it means competitiveness, and there's also talk around banning of different engine modes, um, even for this season. So... I, I just love that it's a mixed bag and it isn't predictable um, so far, unlike other seasons. My takeaway, the health issues um, of COVID, let's have these types of seasons every every year, I think. Um, it's great. Yeah, look, it is. It's interesting to see what's happening. The, the talk of changing the engine modes and stuff for the next round will be uh, quite interesting, which is uh, next weekend. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting finish to the season. They're now talking. Obviously, Turkey's coming in um, to possibly be another round, and we'll we'll probably get an announcement. They reckon in the coming weeks um, of where the rest of the season will sort of drop in. Um, mm-hmm. And where we'll sort of fill, fill those kind of gaps that they're talking about, because um, at the moment we have everything up until um, next round, which is Belgium, um, and then after that we've kind of got the the two Italy rounds, um, and then we go into Russia, um, Germany, uh, and then. Uh, Portugal, and then we don't really sort of have anything set after that. But there's talk that uh, probably they're talking to maybe going into Turkey and then the two Middle Eastern rounds to, or possibly three to finish off the season to get mm-hmm. their, the full numbers. So um, we should hopefully see something maybe before the next round uh, next weekend. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, there's st- still conversations happening um, and we're going to get some, you know, some different tracks thrown into the mix that yeah. we haven't seen before. Um, if they do go with Turkey, there's only a few drivers in the current crop that have actually driven there before. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, but, yeah, the other big event we've got this weekend is the Indy 500 kicks off in, in just a few hours' time. Um, after we finish here, I'm going to jump <laughs> into bed and get some sleep before uh, Indy <laughs> kicks off about 3 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the 500. Um, Lonzo's been having a bit of a tough time. He's uh, yeah, spun and crashed the vehicle a couple of he, times. He uh, um, didn't have the best start to sort of leading up to quality. Qualifying. He starts from row nine um, mm-hmm. in the Arrow McLaren SP um, car, uh, and he's actually sitting alongside Aussie James Davidson, but with a previous winner Simon Simon Pagano next to him on the other side. So um, you know, and on the row behind is previous multi-time winner uh, Elio Castroneves, and sitting on the the row in front of Fernando is um, previous winner Tony Canaan and Will Power. The other Aussies so wow. um, it's quite interesting you look at these top guys that are back in row 8 row 9 and row 10 you run back to row 1 where we've got a Kiwi on the, the on the front row alongside pole sitter Marco Andretti Scott Dixon and previous winner Takuma Sato on the outside but then you run back and you've got a previous you've got a rookie Renier's VK from the Netherlands on row 2 alongside Ryan Hunter Ray and the Canadian James Hinch- Hinchcliffe um 
followed by another previous winner, Alexander Rossi on row three, Graham Rahal, and another rookie, Alex Palau. So it's a really interesting lineup. Uh, guys like to be further to the front for the race. You don't really like starting further down. But if Fernando can win this, he will take out the Triple Crown, which has was not has not been won since Graham Hill. And the Triple Crown is Le Mans, Indy, um, and the Monaco Grand Prix. So mm. um, this could be um, Alonso's last ditch for a while, possibly, at the 500, depending on what happens with calendars and everything next year because he goes to Renault next year and will Renault allow him, you know, leave if he wanted to have another go? Who knows? But, um, yeah, we're, we're all hoping and praying that Fernando can possibly uh, take out the win and take that triple crown out. He was pretty quick um, when he last ran. Uh, he was sitting very well until the car expired. Uh, last time he tried to enter, they actually didn't have any luck. The car didn't qualify. But, you know, there's some interesting people for us Aussies. We can uh, we can only hope for our man willpower from up your way from Toowoomba, Ash, um, and then those that we like to adopt, the Kiwi, Scotty Dixon, <laughs> we'd love to see him um, obviously take it out as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to watch. It'll be, yeah, it'll be... Uh, it, the weather's been really hot because it's been moved from its traditional date in May to August. The heat has been a real issue generally during qualifying last weekend. Um, a lot of guys were saying the heat was a real issue. Um, they've added extra cooling inside the um, cars now, now with the new um, screen that they run. Yeah, um, I was wondering about how that, how that affects uh, the airflow for the drivers. Yeah, so they're now running a cooling system in them to try and keep the guys cooler. Um, you could see it all during practice and stuff like that. Yeah. But they were pumping air into the car whilst the guys were sitting in pit lane wanting to go out because of the heat. Um, but, yeah, it could be an issue with tyres and, and whatever else. But, yeah, um, it should be interesting to watch. I'm looking forward to checking that out um, in a few hours' time and, and watching to see who comes up. It's going to be really weird, though. They're running it without fans um, and in the stadium of that size for the what was traditionally the biggest one-day sporting event in the US, um, if not the the world, it's going to be weird to watch it with no fans. Yeah, particularly yeah, as they tear around different. that first corner. Um, mm. Traditionally, the the fan roar is uh, is pretty pretty huge. So um, so yeah, but we had supercars this weekend for the second. Um, part of the double header in Darwin mm-hmm. uh, with the supercars um, adjusted calendar this year due to due to COVID. Um, Scotty McLaughlin had an absolute dominating weekend, taking three from three wins. Um, so him and the Mustang was pretty much unstoppable. Um, Shane Van Gisberg and, and also... Um, uh, Jamie Winkup both showed quite good form as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite as much uh, action as the first race the uh, the weekend before, but both Nick Percat and Scott Pye also did well. They both finished on the podium in in today's race eighteen. Um, which was uh, good to see for those guys. Um, yesterday, uh, sorry, in the earlier race today, it was Scotty and then Van Gisberg and then also another podium for Scotty Pye. So he's had uh, a pretty good weekend. Um, he had a terrible start yesterday's race. He had a clutch issue off the line, so he struggled. But his teammate, Mark Winterbottom, finished on the podium yesterday in third. Um, Shane won that no, that can't be right. That's uh, the weekend before I've gone back one, sorry. Um, 
So yeah, I it's... knew we are trusting you with this. <laughs> yeah, I know. The uh, the screen I had up didn't work, and it uh, it um yeah it confused me. Um, but yeah, so it's been a good weekend for Scotty. Um, we continue on with the charge with multiple events. Mm-hmm. Um. With moving forward to the next double header, which we're now going to get two rounds in Townsville. So, so can got... anyone get close to Scotty McLaughlin uh, for the championship? I think the thing is with the double header is that they got a chance to obviously, um, you know, the Triple uh, Eight guys had a better weekend last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, I think the the guys from Penske DGR had a had a week to kind of really tweak themselves and and you know, nail the car down even better because they can have another go at the circuit knowing what they're up against. Yeah. So I think next week it'll be interesting because we go we go to Townsville and then we have a double header. So we do another round of Townsville after that. Um, so I think that'll be quite interesting because, you know, watch what happens on next weekend to see what happens the following weekend and see who tries to get more out of the car. But we saw some brilliance, you know, from a couple of other of the, the drivers this weekend, you know, there was some resurgence from different other teams, um, you know, but the, it was really effectively a, a, a triple eight and a, and a um, Penske DGR sort of dominance uh, the, the, the last weekend. Um, but the interesting thing is at the moment is that uh, at this stage, there are only two set of events locked in. Mm-hmm. Sandown was supposed to be next, which was supposed to be middle of September, but our restrictions don't lift until the 14th at, at best. So the, the talk is at the moment is that they will possibly um, maybe run a double header in at Queensland Raceway um, right. over after the weekend after when Sandown was supposed to be run. Um, sorry, the weekend of Sandown. So Sandown is supposed to be the 19th and 20th of September and then they'll probably run another one after that because it means it's safer for the guys to go back to Queensland after to drive from Townsville down south, base themselves out back out of Brisbane again if they can go back into where they was when they did the interim before heading across to um, Darwin. So this will be interesting to see whether they do that. Then they're, what they're talking is possibly maybe moving Bathurst a week uh, later, um, and Bathurst could be our last round of the year, and that's where we'll finish the championship. Be a uh, good way to finish, don't you think? The season, yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be really good because it could it all could all come down to Bathurst in terms of the championship and everything else. So mm. it really means that Bathurst, in that sense, you really need to you need to qualify well. Um, you really need to make sure that you've got a really good car that's going to last the distance because it could be all down to points depending on how you know the next two excuse me double headers you know Townsville goes and then if we do go to Queensland, yeah for the next double header um then yeah it could be it could be very interesting so um yeah look at, the, at this stage it's it'll be one of those things it's it's been a weird season it means that we will then won't get um no sand down no one in wa which was supposed to be the end of october and november no simmons planes because tasmanian borders at this stage are closed until december so there's no mm-hmm. other teams can get in which means that we don't get a night race at sydney motorsport park in december which um, is a bummer 
which is a real shame. But what it does give the teams is it does give the guys, because they've been on the road for weeks now um, on this having to you know jump out of Victoria and beat the, the border lockdown, what it will do, do is give the teams a really good break. Um, they'll be able to come, the Victorian teams will be able to come back home. Um, they won't have to quarantine coming back in because coming back into Victoria at the moment, if you come from New South Wales or Queensland, you don't have to, to quarantine. It means they'll be able to come back home, spend time with their families, get a real really good break with their families um even if we are in lockdown still um or restrictions they will still be able to come home they can wrap up their season they can effectively maybe strip the cars back and then have a good break before the season kicks off um early next year um but yeah if they do that you know it'll be hard on the guys and hard on the guys that have been on the road for weeks particularly the the victorian new south wales teams um but the reward at the end of it for them to be able to be finished the season, be wrapped up by the end of October, um, it'll be great for them and their families who have missed them being away. So, um, yeah. Oh, man. It, it's, I, I think I say it every week. I, I don't envy supercars organisers and logistics people and, and then obviously everything else that flows on with it. With these situations changing all the time, it is a nightmare um, to, to try and make happen. And I just uh, can't believe that when I see it, how smooth everything is when it's running, um, despite the chaotic nature that's going on behind the scenes uh, to make it all happen. Yeah, it's been an, it's been an amazing thing for them to put it to pull it all together and to to pull this season together to allow us to have racing. It means that we get if it does mean we get nearly finished the season. It's a shame um, that we won't have motorsport later than we normally do on the on the TV. But the fact that you know the teams will probably have to get that earlier break and will be you know good for that respect. But yeah, they've done an amazing job for everyone that's been involved to to pull this season together. Um, the double headers have been great. You know, could we? see that happen again in the future maybe you know every year one certain track might get an opportunity to have a double header um as part of you know what they're doing um you know maybe some of the the trucks that have missed out like tail and bend or wa or something like that you know it'd be cool to see the other thing is that's been good to see is that the teams have been able to bond a lot more um a lot of the drivers have been able to spend time together during the week um you know, doing more PR exercises and just having a bit of downtime with with each other, being away from home and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and it's created a lot of content, like, you know, the stuff that's come out of the teams and, and recording their adventure and what they've been up to has been been good. So they're obviously doing more with their sponsorship stuff. Um, you know, the guys from Shell V Power uh, at Pinsky DJR have been doing, you know, stuff with their fans and online chats and things like that. So, um, you know, it's been it's been pretty full, still full on for the guys, even though they're they're having some downtime between events. But yeah, it's uh, it's been good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know if it, other seasons are going to feel a little bit dull. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think it's. Uh, I think Max Verstappen sort of summed it up well that he thinks uh, nine races in 11 weeks is is probably the um the limit at least for formula one teams to 
to go back to back. Um, it's certainly been a, a tough time because even think of uh, on the drivers with these double headers and these back-to-back races, the the physical toll that it takes. Um, when you don't get that extra week or so in between races, it can really obviously um, cause a lot of uh, stress on the body. Um, but yeah, look, I think it, it's great to have this on on the TV and to be able to enjoy it. But I think at the same time, um, you know, yeah. It's just like any other job. It's just like anybody else going through an extremely busy time at the moment um, and different stresses. But, you know, it's purely for our entertainment to some degree. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, glad that it's able to happen in uh, in some way. Yeah, exactly. But look, uh, that that's pretty much everything this week. Uh, we had a bit to talk through, um, even uh, when Mick couldn't join us. I don't think uh, Mick will be able to join us next week either, but he will be back, so don't fret. <laughs> um, and also, engineers, you can put the pitch, pitch, uh, pitch forks down um, for a couple of weeks. That's all right. Um, but look, if you do have anything that you would like us to, to chat about or... Um, or cover or drive, send us an email, uh, shows at dailyautofix.com, and uh, we'll be more than happy to to discuss it. Um, but I think for now, uh, I'll let you uh, grab some sleep, Joel, and before the Indy 500, <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I'm going to stick to bed until <laughs> my sleep and catch the replays uh, in the morning. But until then, thanks for joining us, and uh, thank you, Joel. No worries. Thanks for having me on again. And if you want to follow uh, Joel at Joel Strict Photo is the place to, to go on social media. And, um, yeah, until next week, stay safe and uh, happy driving. Have a good week. <laughs>